0: Want to give a quick thank you to all of my five dollar patrons and members, absent Alice, Alice E, Amethyst, Amet, Caroline, Christina Smith, Deborah tykus Elizabeth Watkins, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Karen Parrot, Kat, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mila, Nika Parsons, and the new Agmon24. Thank you all so much for the support. If you want your name shouted out at the beginning of a video, Head over to Patreon, or go down in the description below to find out how. Thanks for listening, everyone. Part 1. A Melancholy Recollection of Traumatic Events Before I get into the events that led me here, it's important to tell you a bit about my life. I have... Always had to deal with bullies in one form or another. I'd feel safe in saying that they set the course of my fairly troubled life since day one. My father was a bully, and my mother wasn't much better if I'm being honest. My parents were incredibly religious, and I was little less than a demon haunting their precious household in my father's eyes. They never wanted children. They're never shy about sharing that little fact. I have no doubt that if it wasn't for their devotion to their fate, they would have aborted me before I even had a shot at life. Truthfully, I spent a lot of time in my youth wishing just for that. My father was also an alcoholic. It felt like he would pick and choose which of God's lessons he would obey or dismiss. He would drink and rage on about one thing or another while taking every bit of his anger out on me. He would beat me belittle me for anything that struck his fancy, whether he was intoxicated or not. My mother, for the most part, would turn a blind eye to my suffering. Hell, she would join in on the day's session of mockery and finger-pointing when she felt like it. Still, regardless of how much they regretted my birth, they loved each other dearly. To the neighbors and friends of the family and such, theirs was a romance to be envied. Someone told them how much they wished they could find something special like what they had. this would genuinely make me queasy. I hated them both with a passion. They'd never shown me anything but pain and anguish, but I knew that if I exposed the truth of our happy little family, my life would become an even bigger hell than it already was. So, I remained quiet when they would explain to the neighbors and teacher that be his excuse for my bruises and cuts, though my father always tried his best to make sure the wounds were hidden. Rarely did he hit me in the face, unless his arm was completely obliterated from his inebriation. Oh yes, life was rough for little Michael Borden. That would be me, by the way. My apologies, I completely forgot to introduce myself. The only time I ever saw any sort of affection from my folks was when we were around others, though I would quickly be sent away to play when anyone would come over. Of course, it wasn't like I had much of anything to play with. Enough hand-me-down flea market shit to save face should anyone happen to see my bedroom, but most of it was more likely to give me tetanus than a good time. If nothing else, this would allow me to be alone for a time, rather than having watched my parents play the part of loving guardians for the sake of others. The years bled together, one barely distinguishable from the last, but things could always get worse. And they did. When my mother became pregnant again, my father did not even attempt to control his punches. I was kept out of school sick for several weeks until my face was fit to be seen in public again. My folks couldn't stand to even look at me anymore. It was almost as if they blamed me because dear old daddy forgot to pull out. I was five at the time. Five years old and little less than pure evil in my folks' eyes. The following six months were complete and utter hell. For me, I won't get into the details, but I missed a lot of school over those months. When my mother went into premature labor at six and a half months, my little brother was born weighing only four pounds. Due to some complications during delivery, mother didn't survive the labor. My father arrived back home after my spending the entire day alone in the house. He actually grabbed me and pulled me in into the only hug I would ever receive from him. He held me close and sobbed, wailed, and screamed out against the pain of losing his wife. I actually felt shocked. Both at the loss of my mother, as awful a human being as she was, and the sudden Affection from my father. Though I truly detested the man, I wrapped my arms around him and we both cried until our eyes hurt. After what felt like hours, he backed up from me, still holding me by the shoulders. He just looked at me. I'd never seen the expression on his face before. He looked broken, but somehow kind. We stared at each other for quite some time. This was probably the longest we'd ever faced each other without him beating me for one thing or another. It actually caught me off guard when his expression changed from apathy to rage. Rage at me. It was as if he thought I had somehow seduced him into this brief moment of bonding. I winced as his grip tightened around my shoulders. I tried to pull back and get free from his grasp, but at my first effort to break loose, he lifted me from the ground and threw me against the wall. I knew something was broken, but I was in too much shock to figure out what. He screamed a mass of words I couldn't make out, while his face reddened and his arms flailed wildly. It was as though he was trying to exorcise the demon he saw me as from his own house he reached down to where I lay snatched me up by the collar and started dragging me up the stairs I was in so much agony and shock I could barely form words myself but I begged him as much as I could to let me go when I reached the top he kicked open the door to my bedroom and just dropped me onto the floor I tried to get up and run away but I couldn't move my legs I didn't know if it was the shock of everything or that I was seriously messed up. I wasn't any more well-versed in physical ailments than the ones I'd already experienced in my few years of life. I attempted to drag myself out of the room as my father slid open the bedroom window. He grabbed me again and pulled me towards where the cool wind now blew from the outside world beyond. No! Daddy! Let me go! I screamed, though it hurt like hell to yell out. You want me to let you go? He said in a blank, an emotionless voice while not even looking in my direction. You got your wish. I don't remember anything after going out of the window. I'm not sure if the impact with the concrete ground knocked me out or if I passed out before I hit. Apparently, three weeks had gone by when I finally awakened in the hospital bed. My left arm and leg were in casts, and my back had undergone some significant damage. Fortunately, I was going to be in the hospital for quite some time. My memories of the events that led me there were shaky at best. It wouldn't be until some years passed before I was able to recall everything that had happened that night, though I knew it had been my father's actions that led to my broken limbs. He told the police and the hospital staff I would leapt from the window out of despair over my mother's death. Being a respected individual in my hometown, nobody thought to investigate his claims. I was assigned a counselor, in addition to my physical therapy crew, in the weeks that followed my reawakening. My little brother was still in the hospital as well, due to underdevelopment for being so premature. He was still in an incubator, grasping onto life more so than myself. Thankfully, he would be kept away from my father for the time being. The thought of a newborn going to the house from hell scared me even more than my own eventual return. Over the following months, after my back and limbs had recovered enough, I went through daily physical therapy. It didn't take me long to be able to walk again, though not particularly well. I also had been getting counseling twice a week. I tried to explain the truth to my therapist, but he chalked it up to memories altered by trauma of attempting suicide, especially at such a young age. Nobody in my small town would believe anything negative about my old man. Sometimes I believed him to have some manner of supernatural abilities which enabled him to convince the world that he was not a monster I knew him to be. I never did figure out what it was that made so many think so highly of him, but some mysteries never get solved, I suppose. Between losing my mother and having a complete nervous breakdown, I was hard-pressed to find anyone who would listen to my claims of what had actually occurred that night, though... I was unable to put together the whole story at the time. When I was well enough, I was able to visit my little brother regularly. He was such a tiny little guy, but I loved him from the first second. When he was finally allowed to leave the incubator, I got to spend some time playing with him before he was released from the hospital. Fortunately, my aunt was going to take him in for a little while, until my father was up to the task of caring for an infant. That would be never, in my opinion, but I knew it would happen eventually. I hadn't spent much time with my mother's older sister over the years, but she'd always seemed a kind sort. Of course, so did my parents to the rest of the world. She lived in another state, but was renting an apartment nearby to be close to the family. She was still mourning her sister, and it seemed to do her good to be around her new nephew. She would even bring him by the hospital every couple of days to see me. After eight weeks of recovery, I was ready to leave the hospital with regular appointments with my physical therapy crew to look forward to. My father showed up with my aunt and little brother, who had since been named Tommy, after my grandmother on my mother's side. Dear old daddy had been signed off by his grievance counselor to be fit for his children and had claimed he had worked on my bedroom to make it fit for two. I would soon see that meant he just replaced my bed with bunk beds. My aunt said her teary goodbye at the hospital and headed on her way back home. We wouldn't see her again for many years. As soon as the father of the year pulled his trunk out of the hospital parking lot, he wasted no time in letting us know that he was still the same ignorant bastard who'd put me in the hospital in the first place. He spilled the gospel and plenty of curses all the way back home. He bitched about the hospital bills and blamed us for every wrong this world had to offer. I was to be homeschooled from now until the foreseeable future, so I would be able to help take care of my brother. It's basically translated to... I would be raising my brother while our father drinks himself to sleep every night after working all day, while we made do at home by ourselves. (sighs) Honestly, I was okay with it. I actually had a companion for the first time in my life. The next few years seemed to pass by quickly. I was ten years old at this point, and Tommy was five. We were best friends, and did just about everything together. Of course, there had still been plenty of beatings and lectures over time, and Tommy had unfortunately gained a few scars of his own. We would compare from time to time. Tally who got the worst of it and all. My father decided it was time to send us back to physical school, which boiled down to the fact that he changed shifts at his job. He'd been promoted to the night shift manager and did not want to be stuck alone with us during the day. Time passed by some more. My brother was small for his age, even at 12 years old now. He looked around nine or ten at most. Being five grades below me, I wasn't always able to be there or to watch out for him when the bullies would swarm. And, oh boy, did they swarm. Since we'd started school some years before, i joined every athletic class I was able to. I wanted to be ready to show my father a thing or two should the opportunity arise. I was in pretty solid physical shape by this point. My old man would barely even speak to me anymore. At times, he tried to land a Tommy, but if I was near, it wouldn't take much to get him to back down, though. I couldn't always be around to protect him. I hated to think what my father put him through when they were alone together. He was in his fifties now, and the years of drinking and not taking any sort of care of himself had left him far from the intimidating specimen for my youth. I had plans to move out when I turned eighteen and take Tommy with me. I was the closest thing to a dad he had, and I'd be damned if I was going to leave him home without me there to look out for him. About a month before my eighteenth birthday, my life once more took a turn for the worse. Like I called to the nurse's office at school to come pick up my brother. Poor kid was bloody and bruised, sitting outside the nurse's office hanging his head. He'd been patched up, but he was a mess. I asked the nurse what had happened, and she explained that three bigger kids took turns laying into Tommy. He had refused to give up the Casio digital watch I'd given him for his birthday. He was still wearing it, though. They'd smashed it in his face. I wanted to beat the shit out of those little bastards, but they were currently residing in the principal's office. I took Tommy home to my father's dismay. He had the day off and did not want to be bothered with his demon spawn. I waved a dismissive hand at him while he bitched from his recliner in the living room and took Tommy up to the bedroom. I made him some sandwiches and handed him the Game Boy I'd saved up for over months of mowing lawns around town. I told him I'd be back in a little while, just lock the door and stay away from Dad. Even though I wasn't quite 18 yet, I wasn't intending to actually fight the bullying little shits, but I was at least planning to scare the hell out of them. I parked outside the school and waited for them to leave. After a while, they came strolling out, laughing their heads off. It appeared they were quite proud of the mess they'd made of my brother's face. Okay, maybe I will do a little more than just scare them. I followed the trio off school property and into the woods. I ran up behind them and pushed all three of them to the ground. Though I was boiling over with rage, I managed to not actually strike any of them. I did, however, pick up the bigger one of the group and pushed them against the nearest tree pulled out my pocket knife, held it to his throat. I made it clear to them that Tommy was never to be touched, mocked, or even approached by them again. Given the pool of urine that flowed from his pant legs, I think I got my point across. As soon as I arrived back home, I went to go check on Tommy, Only to find my father laying into him. The door was laying against the wall, having been knocked off the hinges. You're just as weak. No, you're way more weak than that piece of shit brother was when he was your age. He was crouched down in front of Tommy, slapping his face while he spat his words. I grabbed him at the back of his collar and pulled him away from my brother. Don't you ever touch him again! I yelled as I slammed him against the wall. Tommy was screaming, crying blood streamed down his face along with the tears. I dropped my father to the ground and walked toward my brother, but he jumped up and ran out of the room and down the stairs before I could stop him. I chased after him while he ran out of the house. I got out through the front door and find him just standing next to the road with his back to me. Tommy. Come back to me, kiddo. I ain't gonna let him hurt you anymore pleaded, holding my arms out. My father charged out behind me and pushed me out of the way. Go on then, he said, almost matter-of-factly. Just a little louder than a whisper, so none of the neighbors who had walked out of their doors to see the commotion would hear his words. Cars were speeding by the house. We lived just off of a main road, so many were not even paying attention as they drove by. I gathered myself back up and started to head toward my sobbing little brother. My father, of course, was still staring knives at the poor kid while spilling jeers from his lips. I was about halfway across the lawn and desperately trying to talk him into coming away from the road when his tears and moans just stopped. He turned to face me, his eyes red and puffy, his face still somber. I love you, big brother were his last words before he stepped backward into the road just in time to meet a large pickup truck. The driver slammed on his brakes, but that only served to drag poor Tommy, who had instantly wedged under the grill of the truck. As the brakes squealed, a tire blew out, causing the truck to flip onto its side, dragging the ground for a good 20 feet before coming to a halt. Everything became foggy. I ran to the road to my dear brother's mangled body. I knew he was gone, but I still grabbed him and pulled him toward me. I was screaming and crying out while I held what was left of Tommy in my arms. This couldn't be happening. He was a happy kid for the most part. My thoughts were erratic. My father did this. He took away the only person I loved in this world. What was he doing to him when I wasn't around? How far had he really pushed him when I wasn't around to stop him? It shouldn't have been planned so close to the road, my father said almost nonchalantly with a shrug as he strolled up to where I sat on the ground, holding what was left of my little brother. What happened next is still a blur to me. I charged him, pushed him down on the road, and started punching him as hard as I could over and over. Neighbors ran over and tried to pull me off, but there was no stopping me. I kept punching and punching until my arm shook from the sheer physical exhaustion. I still pushed through the pain and continued my assault. Blood splattered me in the face with every swing. I was yelling and cursing and screaming out and all the pain that he caused me throughout my life. Somewhere between my screams and punches, something hit me across the head and everything went dark. It seemed what struck me and left me unconscious was a police officer's club. I was so blind to everything else around me at the time, I didn't even see the blue lights approaching. My father was dead dead quite literally by my hands the trial was short as I was so close to my 18th birthday I was tried as an adult as many witnesses as were there it was pretty cut and dry the judge did take a little leniency on me as I just witnessed my brother commit a very brutal suicide I was sentenced to 10 years without the possibility of parole Strangely, it wasn't hard to adjust to prison life. It wasn't overly different from my home life since birth. Guards pushed us around and took great pleasure in talking as much shit as they could to a daddy killer such as myself. Though I continued to work out every chance I got and had become quite the intimidating stature, I kept my head down and did my time in silence, for the most part. For the first two years, I actually had a cell to myself. It was quite nice, if I'm being honest. I'd never been an especially social person. Didn't mess with anyone, and nobody messed with me. Well, after my first week, when I put two shit-talking inmates in stitches after they tried to force me into activities that I held no interest in. I spent the next week in solitary, but I'd earned a significant amount of respect through the actions that led me there. Two years in, I got my first cellmate. I wasn't happy about this at first as I'd gotten used to my peaceful private cell. He was a skinny kid. Long, stringy blonde hair. Probably weighed a buck fifteen soaking wet. Looking like he'd seen the wrong end of some hard drugs in his time. I'd take kid, but he was likely only a year or two younger than me. He looked a lot younger. Or, I felt a lot older. He actually turned out to be... One hell of a good guy, and we would go on to become very close. Truthfully, he was probably the only real friend I'd ever had, aside from my brother. He was actually a real-life English kid. His name was Grant Bailey, from a little town in Liverpool that I can't recall the name of for the life of me. He told me all about life across the pond and how he managed to end up arrested only three months after getting his American citizenship. I asked him several times over the years what he was arrested for, and he would always just smile and say, It's a conversation for another time, mate. I just assumed it was drug-related, given his demeanor when we first arrived, and the subsequent month or so of detox he seemed to go through. Maybe it was something embarrassing that he just didn't want to talk about. Either way, I'd still keep asking every couple of months or so, and he'd keep giving me the same answer. It almost became a ritual over time. He would never talk about his past much, either. I shared the story of my troubled youth, mostly to encourage him to reveal a bit of his own history, but he just told me he had a legendary falling out with his old man some years back. This led to a series of bad decisions, many of which he was still paying for. He seemed especially distant while he talked, more so than I'd ever seen him before at this point. Of course, if there's one thing I can relate to, it's daddy issues, so I never pressed him any further on the topic. Being both scrawny and foreign, he would have fellow prisoners try and push him around from time to time, but I was no stranger to stepping in to try to protect someone. It actually felt nice to have someone under my wing again. He could be cocky as hell, though, so he'd bring a lot of it on himself. In the end, that would just lead to a lot of laughs between us. He knew I had his back, and he would get a little too confident in that. One time I did allow a fairly hefty, skinhead asshole take one good swing at him after he got in his face about being a Nazi prick. Not at all did I support the Nazi prick, but I thought one good jab was show him that there's just some folks you shouldn't mess with. After the punch caught him across the jaw and landed him on the floor, I knelt down beside him and clapped him on the shoulder. I'll take it from here, brother. I said right before I took it upon myself to break the Nazi's nose. He was apparently a pretty high-ranking among the white supremacists of our particular prison, so this could have gone very badly for Grants and I. As it turns out, it went better than expected. We had, or I had, gained the respect of this sect of truly awful human beings, I guess better respect than the alternative. I wouldn't let Grant get too far out of my sight when they were around, though, just to be safe. I suggested to my friend that he consider trying to put on some muscle. A little intimidation factor couldn't hurt. He looked too much of an easy target. Plus, I couldn't promise I'd always be around to save his back. He reluctantly agreed, as he had little interest in working out, but he was deceptively strong for his size. Five years later, Grant's sentence came to a close. He was pushing about a 170 pounds now, and looked a million times healthier than he did when he arrived. He still sported long hair, but it was a lot cleaner and much healthier now. I hated to see him go. He'd become my best friend, my only friend for that matter. Yeah, I had plenty of respect from a lot of the inmates, but Grant was the only one I'd call a friend. He told me to hold on to the remaining stash of cigarettes which had gathered over the years, and he said he'd be in touch soon. I would hold him to his word on it, too. I still had three years left on my sentence, but my court-appointed attorney seemed confident he could get it down to one. In all honesty, I didn't really care, aside from being separated from my only friend. Prison wasn't easy by any means, but it was leagues better than my old home. As it turned out... My lawyer pulled it off, and I was given a chance at parole the very next year. I was released after serving eight years of my ten-year sentence. Grant, who was true to his word, had stayed in touch and had visited regularly over the last year. He'd even found a job and had sung my praises to the hiring staff. I had my own interview the next week. It wasn't the best job by any means. For the sake of avoiding lawsuits or dragging any innocent names through the mud, I won't provide the actual name of the company. I'll just call it Orchid Industries, and it was one of the country's largest carpet manufacturers. But it was never a job you dreamed of getting one day. It paid well, and the work wasn't hard, so I couldn't complain there. It was hot in the summer, cold in the winter, but that's just the nature of these types of jobs. Of course, our direct manager was just one more insecure bully I'd have to deal with, especially after learning what I'd been locked up for. He'd refer to me as killer from time to time, and made sure to share my crime with a couple of especially gossipy associates. This left me branded as something of an outcast in the eyes of many at the job, but still, I had Grant. Plus, a handful of others who were in my corner. Dylan Cole, our boss, was in his mid-forties had a terrible comb over and a ratty beard. He wasn't especially big or small, just sort of one of those people you'd never really even notice outside of a work environment. He had obvious self-esteem issues and made sure to swing his dick around like he stood for something on a daily basis. He was a company man through and through, and we were beneath him. He made that clear. People tend to be... Far too judgmental when they hear one side of the story, Grant said to me one day while we sat on the sidewalk smoking cigarettes to get away from it all for a few minutes. He sort of stared off to one side while he spoke, and his voice didn't sound remotely like himself at the moment. I can't say i ever seen him like this before, even amongst some of the dregs of humanity we share living quarters with. I wanted to pry more as it sounded like he actually wanted to share for once, but he snapped back to himself before I had the chance to push any harder. For the most part, given our shared living circumstances over the previous years, Grants and I were no strangers to belittlement from our superiors. So, we let most of the belittlement and mockery slide off our shoulders. I mean, we'd bitch about it like everyone in a shit job does, but life, for the most part, wasn't too bad. We'd gotten an apartment together. Well... Grants had gotten it before I got out, and let me move in for a share of the bills. It was nothing fancy, but not too bad for a couple of bachelors nearing their thirties. Life sort of fell into a stride for the next few years. We'd both moved up a little in our place of employment, but with new managers comes new condescension. It got old, but it was nothing that we couldn't handle. There had grown a lot of talk around the plant in recent weeks about some special shindig that happened every few years. The Orchid Grand Festival. It was a big fundraiser kind of thing that corporate would host every couple of years or so. We'd heard mention of it before, but it sounded more of a rumor than anything. Anyone who knew anything about it had never actually attended, only heard things from others. I heard some folks can win a shit ton of money from this thing. One of the older employees told us enthusiastically. Remember Joe Rand from Plant 42? Ron, the quality Kirk, asked the older fella. Uh-uh. a big old grizzly feller." Yeah, he looked at us. He ain't lying. Joker was big as a goddamn moose. Big old kickin' son of a bitch, he told us, his wide eyes. Yeah, he won like five million. Set his ass up for life. Quit the next day, never saw him again. Already was living up in New Orleans now. Christ, the older guy exclaimed. How do you get into that thing anyway? Ross simply replied, It's got a lottery, from what I hear. Apparently, it was just that a sort of name drawing between all the plants. Every employee who had worked for the company for at least a year was eligible to be entered into a drawing, but only 30 people were chosen. Completely random could be all from one plant or a couple from all plants. Ron shrugged. Never know, he said as he strolled off. To our surprise, two weeks later, Grant and I were given the news that we'd both been selected to attend the event. What's the catch? I asked my portly manager after he gave us the news. No catch, he said, but you're going to be gone for a few weeks or so, he said dismissively. He handed us each a card with an address at which we were scheduled to be at 10 o'clock the following Thursday morning. Grant and I just shrugged at each other and went on about our day. Sure, we couldn't help but talk about all the things we could do with that kind of money, should that part even be true. I suggested moving to a beach and opening up a bar. Grant just said, I couldn't give it a toss. As long as I don't have to deal with that bugger no more, he said pointing at our screaming douche of a manager sitting smugly in his air-conditioned office while we sweated our nuts off in the plants. The next week dragged like hell. We were both excited and a little apprehensive about what was to come. Grant was far more outgoing than I was, but neither of us were big fans of being paraded around in front of onlookers. We couldn't know what this event would entail, mind you. Nobody seemed to know much about it, other than it was a series of games that would raise funds for charity. Yes, there was supposedly a chance to win big money, but only for the winner. Whether there were any consolation prizes for second and third place, nobody knew, but surely everyone would get something for their time. We were assured that we would be paid our full 40-hour check for the week away. It was company time, after all. There was even talk of some extra vacation days if we made it to the end. However things went, it didn't seem like a no-win situation, at least. Were we to be disqualified early on, we'd still be given the week off and be compensated for our time, according to our grimacing boss. Grant and I theorized everything from silly kids games to a fight-to-the-death situation. Laughed pretty hard at that one. We spent the next few hours smack-talking about how we'd mess each other up to win the prize. Bigger they are, harder they fall, you wanker, Grant said, laughing so hard he could barely get the words out. Bugger off, you scrawny git, I replied in a god-awful attempt at an English accent. Grant spit half the water out he'd been attempting to chug. What the hell was that supposed to be, he chuckled. Sounded like a bloody Aussie giving birth to a hedgehog. Got nothing better to do than to cut up... Our manager yelped a red faced as he turned the corner. You two don't get some work done, there will be no festival. Keep this shit up, and there'll be no jobs for that matter. He said, almost under his breath as he walked off in a manner that would suggest he just ate some bad tacos. Grant stood upright and gave his best military salute. I held my breath in an attempt to hold back the laughter. That was about how every day went, leading up to the event. We had fun, if nothing else. Had we any idea what lay ahead of us, though, I highly doubted we would have been in such high spirits. Part 2 An Interesting Way to Spend a Summer Week The day arrived. As instructed, we arrived at the chosen destination a little before 10 a.m. It was a good hour-long drive to get there, and we thought we'd gotten lost a few times. It seemed like we were heading to the middle of nowhere, but eventually we found ourselves at our destination. It appeared to be an abandoned old factory, easily twice the size of the one we worked at. It looked like a location that would be primed for a climax of a cheesy 80s action movie. There were at least... A good 15 or so cars in the parking lot when I arrived, and a few more rolled up while we sat and waited for 10. As soon as everybody appeared to have arrived, a horn bellowed from the old mill. We all looked at each other. Most got out their vehicles and started toward the dilapidated building. Grant gave me a shrug, and we followed the group inside. We got into the lobby, and a fairly large, muscled man waited for us. He was wearing a black turtleneck and a suit jacket and dress pants. His satire screamed mob enforcer. He was easily half a foot taller than myself and I stood a little over six feet. He was twice my bulk too. His face was tanned and almost leathery in appearance. His short dark hair was spiked and his dark eyebrows looked as though they almost formed a scowl on his otherwise blank and neutral face. As a side effect of my youth in prison time, I developed a need to size people up upon meeting them, to determine whether or not they would be a threat, should anything occur. I doubted that I could take this guy. Even if he couldn't fight, which I highly doubted, one swing from any one of his huge meat hooks and I'd be spent. We all stared at him as we gathered inside. He just glared until we were all in the building and eventually spoke. "'This all you?' he said in a much more gentle voice than I expected. "'Maybe I could take him,' I thought. "'Grant was the only one who spoke up. "'How the bloody hell are we going to know if this is all? "'We weren't exactly given a ruddy spreadsheet,' he said, "'embracing every single bit of cocky limey he could muster. "'Everyone laughed, even the goon in the nice suit jacket. (laughs) "'Fair enough,' he said, still chuckling.' And sure enough, he pulled out a goddamn spreadsheet. He started calling off names on his spreadsheet. After acknowledging the occupants in the wide room, everyone, it seems, had arrived. The large man pulled out a large suitcase from behind him. Keys, pocket knives, any other belongings in your pockets, he said loudly. It wasn't a request. This wasn't hard to figure out. We all seemed puzzled by this, glances back and forth and a lot of reluctance. Safekeeping, that's all, his hugeness assured us. Keep everyone on a level playing ground. Grant looked at me and mouthed. Level playing ground? With his head cocked. The big guy handed out some fairly tough-looking Ziploc-type bags for us to store our things in and passed around a marker to label them. We were allowed to hold onto our luggage, wallet, and watches if we wore one, but no cell phones would be permitted. He leafed through the bags to ensure they only contained clothing for a week, inspected our wallets, and even asked us to turn out our pockets to ensure we had nothing hidden. He then had us form a line to proceed and drop said bags in the case. You won't need any of these things for the next week. If you get disqualified, your belongings will be returned, and you're welcome to stick around and watch for the rest of the games. He droned as though he was reading from a script. Meals will be provided, along with anything else you may need of. I assure you, everything is taken care of, and your things will be kept safe. After that was taken care of, he led us back outside where a bus was waiting for us. Why'd we have to come here if we were going somewhere else? a stocky, middle-aged man in the back of the crowd asked. "'This is the location for the vinyl event,' the goon replied. "'When it's done, there will be a banquet to celebrate the end of the games, and you are welcome to leave at your own discretion.'" There were shrugs and grunts throughout the group. Some under-breath muttering was silenced when our beefy guide piped in with, "'None of you are under any obligation to stay,' Should you wish to leave now, your belongings will be returned to you, and you can get in your vehicles. No harm done. Some lowered their heads, others nodded, but nobody left. Nothing much more was said. We loaded onto the bus, quite a nice bus, I must say, all the creature comforts. The driver told us the trip would only last a half hour or so, but beverages would be available if we were thirsty. We arrived at our next location. It seemed to be a local sports stadium. Grant started chuckling a bit. It's a bloody gladiator, mate. He scoffed and slapped me across the arm. I laughed even harder when he loudly exclaimed, We who are about to die salute you! There were giggles through the crowd, but some didn't seem to find it funny. We were led into the field to find a lot of well-dressed individuals standing in front of several rows of chairs. It seems day one was just an orientation and a get-to-know-us thing. We all sat down, and a tall slender man in a striped polo shirt and khakis got to the podium. I'd say he was close to fifty or so. Looked like he'd never had a cut or a bruise in his life. He'd definitely never done a hard day's work. Perfectly manicured hands, perfect part in his probably-dyed jet-black hair, perfectly shaven... Hell, he looked like he didn't even grow facial hair. It wasn't even a shadow. He told us that he was the owner of the company, Jensen Orchid himself. It's actually caught me off guard a bit. I was not aware that owners of companies of this nature would ever see fit to socialize with the grunts. He did sort of just stare straight forward while he spoke. It felt like he was looking above our heads, as not to risk any inadvertent eye contact with a lesser life form. That's just the impression I got, anyway. He went on to explain that there were actually only three events to come over the next week, which the first of which was to start the following day. He didn't get into what said events were, but advised that we try to be well-rested. He introduced the folks standing behind him, a very average looking guy named Steve who was some sort of human resources manager or something to snotty faced tall women named Vera and Kate who were recruitment managers. They looked very similar to each other. They had the same pointy nose, same brown, fine hair, tied back into the same tight bun. Vera was a good couple of inches taller than Kate, but they had to be sisters or something. There were several other people Random engineers, department and plant managers, all seemed very important and appeared to wear the same disapproving stare. None of them seemed remotely enthusiastic about it here. Orchid also introduced the security and medical team, should anyone act out or get hurt. Said team consisted of about 15 individuals, all seemed fairly large and intimidating. Looked like they all could have been ex-military or something of the like. I can't say it did make me feel a bit uneasy. I leaned toward Grant and whispered, It's to deal with the goon squad, nodding to the security and the medical platoon. Grant shrugged. Stuck up twats, probably. Just want extra protection from us commoners. Still, it puzzled me why such important folk would come host something like this themselves. God knows we were not expecting such a royal committee. I started sizing everyone up. Sure, I could take most of them individually. One or two would give me some trouble without even getting into our beast of a guide from the bus, but I doubted I would last long with more than one or two at a time. Grant had gotten in pretty good shape since we'd first met, and he could handle himself these days. Still, I was getting a bad feeling about this whole thing. Once the speeches were done with, Mr. Orchid walked straight back out of the stadium without so much as a glance towards us. A couple of the mid-grade manager types came and passed around forms for us to fill out. Waivers and such. Can't say that didn't fuel the nervous fire that was brewing. The company was always going on about safety, though. I'm sure it was just to save lawsuits if we tripped over and broke an ankle or something over the course of the week. That's what I told myself, anyway. After the forms were filled out, some of them shot the shit with us for a time. The group seemed more down to earth, but still had a bit of superiority to them. After some time, several caterer types rolled in trolleys with heaps of food. Way more than was necessary for 30 folk and a handful of the remaining management. We were complaining, though. Grant and I hadn't eaten since we left the apartment, so we were starved. It was a high-quality feast for sure. Steak, ham, fried chicken, ribs, potatoes, gravy, you name it. They had something for everyone, though Grant seemed upset there was no fish or chips. Dirty wankers, he whined while chewing on an especially large drumstick. Aw, poor little baby didn't get what he wanted, I said, pouting and rubbing my eyes. Grant spit half his drumstick out and burst into laughter slugged my shoulder while apologizing to the guy across the table he'd almost nailed with chewed up chicken. After we were all successfully stuffed with food, we were once more led to the bus. After about a five minute trip, we ended up at our hotel, which would be our residence for the next week. It was a nice, semi-fancy place. Basic roadside hotel design, but quite large rooms with separate living and bedrooms. Free cable, Room service, pool, gym, laundry, the works. We were all assigned our own rooms as we were the only residents. The company, it seems, had bought out the whole hotel for the week. Our previous guide, the friendly goon, seemed to read from a new script as he pointed out nearby attractions within walking distance. We were welcome to come and go as we pleased, but we were required back to the rooms by midnight, as we were going to have some early mornings over the next week. With that said, he headed out for the night and left us to our own devices. Some of the guys headed out in a group to check out the sights, while others just settled in for the night. It was already around 7, and it had been a long day. Grant and I took a stroll to a nearby liquor store. We picked up a case of beer, some whiskey and coke, and a carton of cigarettes to split and headed back to the hotel. Though we had our own rooms, Grant ended up crashing on my couch as we got a little more tipsy than we intended. I staggered to my bed and passed out for the night. We were awoken by a heavy knock to the door. Well, it sounded heavy to my hungover head, it was around 9.30 and we were to be ready to head out by 10. Grant headed back to his room to shower and I did the same. Once more, we all loaded onto the bus and headed to the next location. This would be round one. We were all eager to find out what the deal was and maybe a little nervous. After another half hour on the bus, we arrived at a parking lot next to a fairly dense forest. Nothing else was around. Just the bus, two black SUVs, and a whole lot of trees. The rear window lowered on the closest SUV to us. Sure enough, there was good old Genton Orchid again. He did not get out of the vehicle, though. He had our favorite goon gather us all together and proceeded to tell us in a very bored-sounding voice, "'This will be the location of round one of the week's festivities.' I will ask you to follow Mr. Green through this forest to the other side. You will be allowed three hours to complete the task once it has begun. Any breaking of the rules and you shall be disqualified. We have cameras set up to watch from another location, plus you will each be fitted with GoPros. You must complete the task or you will not move on to the next challenge. The winner, should there be one, will be rewarded. There is no prize for runner-ups other than moving on. Thank you, and have fun. Aside from a lot of apprehension about what this task was to be, I had just realized our bulky guide finally had a name. Mr. Green. Whether this was his real name or just a nod to the old murder mystery board game, who knows. Mr. Green bellowed for us to form a single file line and follow him. Should any of you get separated, give a shout, we'll stop and wait for you to catch up. He said in his best monotone scripted voice. So we formed our line and followed him toward the woods. There was a thin trail, nothing particularly fancy, but enough to be able to have a clear route to follow. The landscape of these woods was very tricky to navigate lots of ups and downs, and twists and turns. Some of the ups were bordering on full fledged hills. After walking for close to an hour, we cleared the woods and arrived on the other side to see another parking lot with several vehicles already parked, one of which was a large, glossy black moving truck, like a classy U-Haul or something. Green gathered us all at the back of the truck, and several people in orchid-printed polo shirts started fitting us with what felt like tactical vests. These vests were apparently fitted with small cameras on the front and back. Also with GPS, should we get lost and have to be found? Get lost, I asked. Green just smiled. Don't worry, he said calmly. This is the easy one. He said it with a smile. Grant looked at me with a questioning expression. I just shrugged. I wasn't feeling great about this, but I was sure there was no danger. Orchid was a pretty respectable company and preached safety like the gospel. They surely weren't going to put us in harm's way. After the vests were fitted and cameras tested, Green told us what we were facing. You will all be blindfolded, and a helmet will then be placed on your head that will muffle your ears. You will have some hearing, but a bit limited. You'll have no vision until reaching the end. Should any of you remove your helmet or blindfold, you will be eliminated. Should any of you not finish, you will be eliminated. Should any of you speak in more than a whisper, in any way that will guide or assist any of your competition aside from your partner, you will be eliminated. He seemed to be smiling more and more as his speech went on. The task is simple. Get back to the bus, he said, as though it was the easiest thing in the world. A small, thin, older man from the back of the group shouted out. "'We have to get through these woods blindfolded and muffled. What if we get hurt?' he said with light panic in his voice. "'Yes, sir,' Green exclaimed. "'That's all you have to do to proceed to the next event.' He clearly did not understand or did not care that this was no easy task." Should any of you wish, you are still welcome to bow out and be disqualified, he said with a very condescending tone in his voice. There were mutters through the crowd, but nobody backed out. In teams of two, you will enter the woods every two minutes until everyone is in. Your individual times begin as soon as you pass the first tree. No two teams will enter at the same spot. He then had to spread across the face of the forest... Each team ten feet apart. Starting from the furthest from where I'm standing, you will enter when I blow this whistle. He blew the whistle to introduce us to what the whistle sounded like. There will be a final horn to indicate the end of the event. It will signify the end of the time limit for the last team to enter to have exited. He looked across the line at us and asked, Any questions? Nobody said a word. We stood in silence while the crew from the truck blinded and behelmeted us. Once they were convinced everything was in place and we couldn't see a goddamn thing, the whistle sounded. Grant and I were in about the middle of the pack. The whistle sounded every two minutes, so it would be a good half hour before we entered. Grant whispered, Oi, can you hear me? Yeah, I replied, though it wasn't easy to hear through the helmet. The trail wasn't straight, he said. We took several wide turns, he continued. It's not a straight shot. You with me? Uh, I think so, I answered hesitantly. By my reckoning, he proceeded, this is the same parking lot we parked in, just further down. If we enter the woods and stay to the right, we should find our way back. (sighs) Are you sure? I asked. He hesitated for a minute. Do you trust me? With my life, I replied. Stay close. I'll snap my fingers every minute or so. I'll get us there. You fall back or anything, clap your hands. (sighs) got this, mate. I just replied. Okay. I was unsure, but I did trust him more so than I... Ever believed I could trust anyone? Our whistle sounded, and we entered without hesitation. Sure enough, Grant started snapping his fingers every minute or so. The ground was very uneven. I had to fight to stay on my feet while stumbling against the trees from time to time. I had to listen closely to tell his snaps from twigs and branches breaking. The first twenty minutes or so, as far as I could tell, went quite smoothly. I heard others stomping in the distance. Most sounded further off than I would have thought for. Only a two minute gap between us, but it was hard to know for certain with one sense cut off and another dulled. Still, other players were not my concern. I only cared that Grant and I made it to the end. What confidence I had, however, took a turn for the worse when I heard a scream from far off followed by scuffling and multiple branches breaking. Was there wildlife out of here? Did someone just freak out and quit? There's no telling, but a voice came across speakers apparently mounted in the trees around us. Two players have been disqualified, echoed from somewhere to our left. Disqualified players, please remain where you are until you can be removed from the field. Through the confusion, I realized I'd not heard a snap for several minutes. Grant, I whispered loudly as I thought I could. No reply. I clapped my hands while my heart began to race. I'd been following his lead and paying no attention to anything other than keeping myself upright. I started flailing my arms around, trying to grasp at anything. I brushed trees with my fingers and almost busted my ass a couple of times after kicking branches on the ground. I heard more scuffling off in the distance, which caused me to whip around. There was a yell, some loud cursing from nearby. I know it wasn't Grant's voice. He was easily recognizable. There was a loud slam, which sounded like someone hitting a tree with a large limb. The voice came back over the speaker's. Two players have been disqualified. Please remain in place until you can be removed from the game. I'd become sure it was Mr. Green whose voice echoed from the speakers. He seemed heavily involved in these games. Surely he was getting paid a shit ton for this. Way more than we got paid, that's for damn sure. Distractions. I... I don't need distractions. Where the hell was I? Where the hell was Grant? i got myself so turned around I had no idea where I was or where to go by this point. I was beginning to feel incredibly claustrophobic. Panic was setting in. My heart was hammering and I was sweating buckets. What to hell with this, I said under my breath. As I was reaching up to remove my helmet and forfeit the game, I felt a hand wrap around my wrist. I got you, mate. the familiar whisper of my dear friend spoke. sighed in relief. Thank God, I whispered. Nah, Grant said. Not quite, he chuckled. Once more, we were back on course. Another half an hour went by fairly uneventfully, aside from another two players being disqualified. We didn't hear much this time, aside from the voice over the speakers. Not far off now, I think, Grant said after another fifteen minutes or so. Almost right after he spoke, a blood-curdling scream echoed through the woods. I whipped around. I heard what sounded like several people running, maybe thirty yards away. There was a loud thunk, which I assumed was someone running into a tree. "'Get up!' a panicked voice yelled. More scuffling, followed by a scream. "'No! Stop!' Muffled voices now sounded as if they were being forced into silence, a loud snapping sound much more than just a tree branch echoed, and then silence. Once more, my heart was racing. What the hell was that? I whispered louder than intended. No clue, Grant said, sounding flustered himself. We gotta keep going, mate said, seemingly trying to sound calmer than he felt. Two players have been disqualified. The voice spoke over the speakers. Ninety minutes remain to complete the task. It finished. The fact he did not ask for the eliminated players to stay in place, combined with the commotion we just heard, made me even more uneasy than I was before. (sighs) They're fucking with us, mate, Grant insisted, trying to throw us off. We're close now. I know it. Not ten minutes later, the air around us seemed to become fresher somehow. The ground evened out and it became solid. Concrete. This was fucking concrete. Congratulations, a familiar voice said as our helmets were removed. The blindfold was pulled from our heads to give away to a light that felt so bright that it would burn my eyes out. Give it a minute. Let your eyes adjust slowly. Green said. Holy shit, I said, my heart still thumping. <laughs> we did it, I laughed. Grant just smiled and gave me a wink. After we regained our bearings, I asked Green what those noises were random obstacles and actors were staged throughout to have a bit of fun with anyone who came across them. He snickered like a little kid who got away from stealing candy bar from the local pharmacy. You two got lucky. You weren't the first to make it out, but you did well. Grant seemed to be studying green. He had an expression I'd never seen from him. It was somewhere between doubt and frustration, with a side of something almost hateful in his eyes. You all right, mate? I asked, knowing well how ridiculous I sounded when I tried to throw mate into a sentence. Normally... Grant would mock me when I tried, but this time he just gave me a half smile and said, All right, mate. Very little emotion. He was spooked or something. Maybe he was just tired and hurting. I noticed several scratches and cuts on his arms from the blind journey. Perhaps he was just annoyed by the situation. I was scratched up pretty good myself, but. I was just too excited to be out of there and to be able to see again. I would even say I felt a little exhilarated from the experience. Another group came staggering from the wood, which finally broke Grant's stare down to Mr. Green. I wonder how many are left, I asked almost to myself. No telling, really, Grant replied, sounding more himself again. Ready for a bloody pint, though. I looked at him for a moment, and he tilted his head as if to ask why. Thank you, Grant. I wouldn't have made it through without you, I said sincerely. It's about time I had your back for once. Must count how many times you've had mine. He laughed and slugged me in the arm. How the hell do you have such a good sense of direction anyway? I asked, still laughing a little. That's a conversation for another time, mate, he said with a wink. He smiled and nodded in the direction of two more stumbling out of the woods. They were in rough shape, torn clothes, blood trickling down from their arms and legs, and they were both covered in dirt. One of them had a nasty gash on the side of their neck. Two of the polo shirts came running up and started cleaning their wounds. Guess this is what the waiver was for, I said, shrugging my shoulders. Grant pulled out a couple of cigarettes and lit them both. He handed me one and said, This is just round one, as he strode away from the curb. After some time, a loud buzzer sounded, signaling the end of the game, or at least the end for the last team who entered. A total of 14 players had emerged from the woods, including myself and Grant. Aside from the nine who were disqualified, another seven never made it out. A group of the Polos headed in with GPS devices to track them down and lead them out along with the other disqualified nine. Green instructed us survivors to get back on the bus. When I asked what about the others, he pointed at another far less pretty bus across the parking lot. He told us they were free to stick around and watch the rest of the games, but would no longer be staying in the hotel they have to find new lodging should they wish to stay. They'd be taken back to their vehicles for the time being. Grant still seemed very distant. He appeared to be studying Green again as we loaded up. By the time we got back to the hotel, he was back to himself. Green told us that for the remainder of the night and the next day, we were free to do whatever we wanted, as the next event would not commence until the following day. Grant looked at me with an intense, serious look on his face. Caught me off guard until he said, in a dramatically serious tone, Let's get pissed, before bursting into laughter. We asked the other contestants if they'd like to join in on said pissing. Four of them were up for it, while the other eight chose to just head back to their rooms. We hadn't really had a chance to get to know anyone, so this would be our chance. We hit up the liquor store again with our new friends, Brandon, Chuck, Dwayne, and Larry. We brought our drinks to the pool at the hotel and just shot the shit for the remainder of the evening. Brandon and Dwayne both worked at the same plant, while Chuck and Larry worked at separate locations. Brandon and Dwayne knew each other pretty well as they'd worked together for quite some time, ever since getting released from prison some six years ago. Grant and I were struck by the coincidence at first, but brushed it off in an attempt to enjoy the evening. That was until Chuck spoke up about his prison time, at which point Larry mentioned that he was an ex-con too. We all became silent for a moment. What are the odds that six cons got randomly picked for this little shindig? Grant asked. Pretty good, it seems. Chuck said with a laugh. He was a big country boy. Seemed a good sort, though perhaps not the sharpest tack in the room. Brandon, a tall, stocky black dude with long, braided hair, said, No. The odds are not good at all. He was a very intelligent-sounding guy, though, somewhat soft-spoken. If we were to ask the others if they had done time, what do you think the odds are on that? He continued. I started to stand up to go ask that very question, Grant put his hand on my shoulder. Another time, mate, he said somberly. We earned a bit of relaxation tonight. Given the head rush I experienced upon attempting to stand, I had to agree. The day's events combined with the healthy amount of alcohol we'd already put away made me happy to just chill right where I was. Grant reached into the bag from the liquor store and pulled out a handful of cigars. "'Who wants one?' he exclaimed to the group. "'We all graciously accepted, and for the rest of the night, we smoked, drank, and laughed. Grant accidentally nudged me into the pool at one point, causing a lot of drunk laughter to echo across our private hotel experience. He reached his hand to help me up. Of course, I had to pull him in. At that, everyone jumped in. Brandon was the only one that had the sense to at least take his shirt off first. This was the happiest and most relaxed I'd felt since this whole thing started. As the night of the drinking took its toll, we all said our goodnights and headed back to our rooms. Today's hangover was not as bad as the last. Perhaps no wake-up call allowed me to sleep it off more effectively. Maybe I just had the sense to eat more this time. Either way, I decided to just take our free day to lounge a bit. About an hour or so after I woke up, Grant came strolling in and flopped down on the couch. He didn't say much, just gave me a quick nod of acknowledgement and settled into watching the cheesy action movie I had playing on the TV. We sat there for a while in silence. When the credits started to roll in the movie, Grant spoke up. Reckon we should talk to the others? I'd completely forgotten about the coincidence from the previous night. I suddenly felt my neck tense up. But Grant knew something was off. I could hear it in his voice. We headed out of the room and decided to go to each door together. Of course, we had no idea which room was which, nor which rooms were now empty, so we just went door to door like we were selling Bibles. Grant enjoyed that metaphor, so he started asking every occupant who answered the door if we could come in for a moment and talk about Christ. It added a bit of fun to an otherwise awkward subject matter. Most of the rooms were currently empty. We didn't come across the guys from the previous night. We assumed they'd headed out for the day. Five rooms were occupied, though, and each of their residents were, indeed, ex-convicts. We didn't feel the need to grill anyone else, regardless of when or if they showed back up. Couldn't argue with the math at this point. Grant also remarked, Not only is it only cons that were randomly drawn for this, but all blokes, too. Another point I hadn't even thought of until now. It's a bloody purge, he said, matter-of-factly. We got back to my room and picked up the phone to call the front desk. Nobody answered. It just rang. Not even any voicemail or answering machines. So we headed down to the lobby on foot. They likely didn't have answers for us, but surely they could contact those that may. We were not surprised to find the lobby deserted. They rented out the hotel for the whole week. Maybe they didn't feel they had to staff it. I said in half-question. Grant shrugged. We're not getting anywhere today, he said, lighting a cigarette. He offered me one, and I was happy to accept. We decided to go for a walk. Can't just sit here, Grant said firmly. I had no idea where we were going, but I was going to follow his lead. Somehow I had a feeling there was a fight coming for us. Round two would be the very next day, and God knows where they had in store for us this time. We could just leave, Grant suggested. Yeah, we could, I replied. Yeah, I need to know, too, he said, not even looking at me for affirmation. We knew we were on the same page. If this was going where we suspected, we had nowhere safe to go back to could be overreacting. It could just be the biggest coincidence in history. Maybe all former inmates made up a bigger portion of Orchid than we knew. Either way, we were getting answers tomorrow. We walked the streets until night fell. Grant suggested that we should get an early night. We need to be well-rested if there was a fight coming. Oh yeah, we were going to sleep great tonight, I thought. We woke early in the next morning. Can't say it had been the most fulfilling night's sleep, but it was something. There was still a couple of hours until Green would show up to escort us to the second round, so we decided we should try and talk with the others. To our surprise, everyone was down by the pool when we got outside. As we approached, we could tell we were all of similar minds about this. I say we confront them. If they don't want to give us answers, like real answers... We all bail, Brandon said. But we'll all be disqualified, Chuck replied. The hell with this game, one of the others said. You really think there's a prize at the end of this? Things went on like this for a while. Finally, Grant spoke up, having more authority in his voice than I'd ever heard. We have to be on the same page, boys. We ask our questions. If we don't like what we hear, we bail out. Together. Yeah? What if they won't let us leave? Chuck asked. Then we make them let us leave, I said. Most agreed. There was still a bit of back and forth, but we were set with purpose. Chuck and another portly guy seemed very apprehensive, but we were prepared to protect them. If we could. As if to put a nail in the conversation, the bus came rolling in around 9.30 followed by one of the black SUVs from the previous task. They parked, and Green came strolling out of the bus as the rear door on the SUV opened to reveal Jensen Orchid once again in all of his glory. He was wearing a very nice suit, like he'd just come from an important meeting or something. Green was still rocking the black turtleneck and suit jacket, which I was beginning to think was the only outfit he owned. Orchid came up by walking beside Green, adjusting his cufflinks like he was posing for a poster for the next big spy movie. It would seem we have a problem, he said calmly. Orchid stood there, staring at us with his head held high, looking down at us. Speak up, then, Green said in a stern voice. We stared in silence for a moment. It's no coincidence we're all ex-cons, is it? I asked, breaking the awkward silence. Well. This thing is not quite as random as we may have previously suggested, Orchid said with a small smile. What's really going on here? Brandon asked. Nothing quite as nefarious as you're thinking, dear boy, Orchid said with a strong tone of condescension. Oh, you're so much better than us than aren't you, Mr. O., Grant sneered. Orchid laughed. Even his laugh had an air of superiority to it. My boy, that is not the question here. The question is, are you still interested in becoming a rich man? He asked arrogantly. There were murmurs through the crowd. What are you saying? Chuck asked in a squeak. He seemed quite meek for such a big guy. Orchid gave Green a nod. Green walked over to the SUV as another suited individual in the back seat handed out a large leather bag. He brought it over and handed it to Orchid. Given the misunderstanding, we've decided to skip the final event. The winner of which will win this bag. Do you know what's in the bag? He asked, as though speaking to a class of first graders. How exactly are we supposed to know what's in the bloody bag? Grant belted. You mind your tone, Green said, glaring at my friend with sheer hatred in his eyes. had placed a hand on Green's shoulder. Now, now, Clive, he said, like he was speaking to his favorite puppy. He unzipped the bag to reveal it was packed to the rim with $100 bills. Within this bag lies fifteen million dollars, tax-free, which could still belong to the winner. Should you choose to compete, he droned on. You could hear a pen drop. Prizes like that aren't won without spilling some blood, Grant said calmly. And do you have the Guts to find out, asked Orchid. Tell you what, everyone load up onto the bus. We'll take you back to your vehicles, which is also where the final event is set to take place. Talk about it on the ride. Should you choose to compete, the event will continue as planned. If not, you'll be at your vehicles and may leave at your own discretion. We shall only allow the event to proceed if at least half of you choose to continue. If not, we part ways upon arriving. Your choice, he said, smiling the whole time. What do you say? he asked. We quickly discussed and agreed to board the bus. After all, we needed to get back to our rides either way. We talked a lot on the ride back to the old factory, weighing the pros and cons while discussing the possibilities of what lay ahead. Ultimately, we decided to opt out when we got there. The prize was tempting, but we were not willing to get blood on our hands for it. We had all done time for previous mistakes, and this wasn't going to be a fight we could win. We arrived at the old building. Mr. Green ushered us into the lobby once more. The place looked different, somehow. It was darker, somehow, and more... I don't know, sinister... I could have just been seeing things, though. Green pointed to a staircase to our left, one that I had not noticed the first time. We're not going to play, I said. You told us we part ways here if we choose not to continue. Please, he said, holding his hand toward the stairs as if to introduce them to us. Chuck headed for the door, only to find Ed locked behind us. What the hell is this? he yelped. "'Please,' Green said again, standing like a statue next to the stairs. "'Let us out, Green,' I ordered. "'As two men came from a room to the right, another location I had not previously noticed, "'they drew guns from their hips. "'Please,' Green said once more with a slight grin. "'Sot it,' Grant barked and headed up the stairs. "'I followed, as did the others.' It was a long flight of stairs, longer than seemed possible, even with the height of the building from the outside. We were walking for easily a good ten minutes. I was feeling quite winded by the time we reached the top. The stars led to a short hallway with large, ornate doors at the back, which opened onto a huge, cathedral-type room. The walls were lined with large chairs, each with well-dressed individuals sitting upon them, maybe a hundred in all. Men and women, all in their best suits and dresses. You could almost smell the money on them. The room was quite dark, only lit by candles which were mounted to the walls. At the far end of the room stood an altar with a large book resting on it. There was a statue of a man with a goat's head and legs against the near wall, while Orchid himself stood by the altar, surrounded by our old security crew, all armed with semi-automatic weapons. Bugger me, Grant said loudly. The audience started yelling and cheering as we entered. Green lined us up in front of the altar. The gunmen approached and took their place at our backs. The gold and bejeweled altar looked like it must have set them back a few million. The bag of cash was sitting on one of the large chairs that sat on either side of the statue at the back wall. Welcome, he said, with his arms outstretched. We all stared at the tall man, who looked upon us with disgust etched onto his face. There was an armed man behind each one of us, practically daring us to attempt to flee. I felt as though we had little hope of escaping this place with our lives, but I would be damned if I was going down without a fight. I glanced at Grant, who stood to my right. He stared at Orchid with contempt in his eyes. It wasn't often I saw my friend with this look on his face, but there was something intimidating about it. It was times like these I was glad I was not his enemy. I almost dreaded to think what he was capable of if he were pushed too far. You said we could leave, Chuck stuttered, interrupting the muttering from our audience. Of course you can, my boy, Orchid said proudly while forming an almost friendly smile. Then uh, I'm leaving Are you sure you don't even want to try to win the prize? Orchid said His eyes were wide and he had an almost crazed look on his face Fuck the money, Chuck said The crowd roared with laughter An older woman wearing about 40 pounds of jewelry was laughing so hard she started to choke The older Jim beside her, presumably her husband, started smacking her on the back, which only caused more laughter from the crowd. Orchid, still chuckling, set his eyes at the shivering Chuck again. Very well, then. Allow me to shake your hand before we send you on your way, he said, his hand outstretched. Don't do it, Chuck, I said, grabbing his arm shook my arm off and yelled, fuck you, spitting with words. He walked toward the altar on trembling legs. You could tell he was terrified, but just wanted to get as far as he could from here. When he reached the altar, Orchid stepped down, grabbed his hand, and pulled into an embrace. He pulled back, still holding Chuck's hand in his own. We certainly do hate to see you go, dear boy, he said with a very fake pout on his face. But these good people paid for entertainment, he said, holding his other arm out, causing the crowd to roar. In one quick motion, he whipped his outstretched hand to his back before pulling out a large bejeweled knife. He swung it down onto Chuck's wrists, swiftly separating it from the hand. Chuck screamed in pain and shock. I stood there slack-jawed as Grant started to head toward the screaming Chuck. No! I yelled and grabbed onto my friend. He was trying to struggle free, but I wouldn't let him. The gunmen raised their weapons to the back of our heads as Green calmly said, Stay, doggies, with a sneer. Orchid waved Chuck's hand above his head, allowing the blood to spray across himself. "'Give the man a hand!' he screamed madly while the crowd roared. Chuck was trying to stay on his feet again as Orchid grabbed him up by his hair and spun him around to look at us. "'One player has been disqualified,' he said softly through gritted teeth while holding his laughter. He quickly put the blade across Chuck's middle section, spilling his entrails to the floor." Chuck was screaming and wailing while Grant was fighting hard to break free of my grasp, but I wouldn't let him go. They'll kill you, I demanded, doing everything I could to hold him in place. Orchid then proceeded to slice through Chuck's neck back and forth until he hit the bone. He started twisting the head from side to side until the bone finally gave way and Chuck's head was held high above his blood spewing down on him. Grant finally stopped trying to get to them. His body gave out, and we both fell to our knees. We were all shook. Was this really happening? Brandon was shaking his head from side to side, muttering, This ain't real. This shit ain't real. The crowd was cheering and yelling their praises for the show. Orchid finally dropped Chuck's head to the floor. He snatched a towel from the altar to wipe his face off. He was still drenched in Chuck's blood, and it was now smeared across his face. He signaled to one of the remaining guards beside him, who brought him a bowl of water. He dunked the towel in the bowl before wiping down his face and hair. When he was done, he tossed the towel back at the guard, who walked off with the bloodied rag in the bowl of now scarlet-colored water. Orchid then did something very strange. After he was sure his hands were clean enough, he opened the large door that was placed on the altar. He pulled a fountain pen with a long black feather from a small drawer and pierced the tip of the bloodied stump from where Chuck's head used to reside. He then wrote something in the book and blew on the page. He then looked towards us again. Do you know what this is? he asked, sounding far less maniacal than before. Nobody answered. We were all still stunned by what we had just seen. This is Lucifer's Bible, he said matter-of-factly. You see, not only are these good people to your sides placing bets on this week's festivities, but every name we enter into this unholy book is another soul we offer to the Dark Lord himself, for which we are immensely rewarded. He held his arms out wide and his head high. You're taking a piss, Grant belted out. Green smacked him across the back of his head with the butt of a gun he pulled from his shoulder holster. Show some respect, you filthy maggot, he barked. Grant looked ready to burst. You mock me, boy, Orchid sneered. You mind your tongue in front of your betters. That sent a chill up my spine as I saw my father looking down at me through his eyes. The same arrogance and superiority etched onto his face as he would look on me with pure disgust and loathing. I could tell Grant wanted to say more, but he chose to stay silent to my relief. He would have both ended up bloody and dead next to Chuck if he kept up. Now... As I was saying before I was rudely interrupted, Orchid began again. This Bible has been part of the Orchid family for generations. It is only through my generous nature that I choose to include all of these good people, he declared proudly, gesturing to all of his adoring crowd. I only allow the best breed to be part of this venture, and we have all flourished from this endeavor. You're barking, Grant said under his breath. Green moved toward him again. Orchid held his hand to single Green to stand down. He regarded Grant. You're a brave one, he stated, pacing towards my friend. I can respect that, he said, nodding his head and staring deep into Grant's eyes. They stared at each other for a moment. One more from you, and I'll have your friend's hand cut off and he'll still be expected to complete the final task, he said coldly. We've been watching all of you these past few days. We know where your allegiances lie. We've become quite familiar with who and what you are. Do we understand each other? Grant nodded slowly. Good boy, Orchid said with a smirk, patting Grant on the head. My heart was racing, and I could tell Grant's was too. He was breathing heavily. I knew it was taking all of his self-control to stay silent. I had to admit I was feeling the same way. I wanted to charge the bastard right here and now, but I knew the goon squad would drop me before I even got close. Orchid looked at me and smiled widely. I got the feeling he knew exactly what he was thinking. He tilted his head as if to say, Go on then. I just stared back with all the contempt I could fit into my gaze. I never thought I could hate anybody more than my father. With an expression of grandeur, Orchid spoke once more. Now, on to today's festivities, unless anyone has any more interruptions. He smirked at Grant, daring him to speak up. My friend just turned his head to the side in disgust. We looked at each other for a moment. I'm not entirely sure what was in his eyes as he looked back at me. It was something I'd never seen before, something determined and filled with anguish. I strangely got the feeling that he could rip Orchid's head right off without batting an eye. Luckily, he chose to remain still. For now, you fourteen... well, thirteen now. For now, you fourteen... well, thirteen now will be separated throughout this quite remarkable building. You will not have any clue to your competition's whereabouts, but that is not your concern. You see, he continued, all you have to do is find your way back to this very room. This is not much different from your previous task. I glanced across the terrified faces of my colleagues. I knew now that the disqualified players from the last game now had their own bloody name in his precious book. I had little doubt that all of our names would be scribbled across the pages before this day came to a close. Along the way, you'll find traps, surprises, and some things your mind will not be able to grasp, Orchid continued. You'll also find weapons. Weapons with which you may choose to lessen the playing field, remove some of your competition. Either way, you will not make it out of this challenge unscathed. The building, you see, demands blood. You will not be able to find your way back here until it has had its fill. That being said, if more than one makes it back to this room, we shall be forced to have, shall we call it a tiebreaker? He stopped and looked at each of us, one by one. There can be only one winner, no prize for second best. His smile faded. I think I already know who to put my money on, he said softly, glaring into Grant's eyes. Do not let me down. The crowd roared while guards behind us put bags over our heads. I struggled to break free as I felt a needle pierce into my neck. And within seconds, everything went dark. I woke sometime later to the bellowing sound of a voice emitting from a speaker on the wall. As promised, you've been randomly scattered throughout the building. We'll be watching your adventure from now until its completion, so do make it entertaining. Welcome to hell. Do try to enjoy your stay. The disembodied voice of Jensen Orchid laughed maniacally before the speaker went silent. My head was spinning. Having been put to sleep in one location and awakening in another, one very unfamiliar, I was having some trouble finding my bearings, but after a few minutes I finally started taking in my surroundings. I surprisingly found myself in what appeared to be a very classy bedroom. A large bay window was to the left of the incredibly comfortable bed I was laying on. The room was well lit, yet there were no physical lights. No lamps, no overhead lighting and what light there was in the room did not feel artificial somehow, if that makes any sense. I approached the large window and swung open the curtains to reveal the window, staring out onto a gorgeous beach. Are we still in the factory? I thought out loud. I opened the window, which unlatched and opened like it was brand new. No stiffness, no paint chimping or rusted hinges. The ocean breeze hit me like a literal breath of fresh air. I could hear the waves crashing against the rocks at the far end of the shoreline. It was warm and very inviting. Hallucinogens, I said out loud. I glanced about at the speaker on the wall, as if I was actually making eye contact with another person. You gave us hallucinogens? I stared out into the ocean a little longer before the voice returned. No, Mr. Borden. No drugs in your system other than a simple anesthetic that you've since recovered from. The voice spoke before the speaker was silent again. The beach was hypnotic. I wanted so badly to leap from my window and jump into the inviting ocean. Nope, I said to myself. I ain't that gullible. I turned away from the beautiful scenery, denying its temptation. I had to get out of this room, and not through the window. The rest of the room was very nice, hardwood floor with a very elegant and well-made rug splayed across it. The walls were also wooden, not just paneling or wallpaper designed to imitate the real thing. They almost appeared to be walls you would expect to see in a pleasant log cabin on a mountainside. There were framed pictures on the wall of what I assumed to be a representation of the hotel I was supposed to believe I was in at the moment. It was a large, gothic-looking building fit with gargoyles on the roof and the works. It was a large and especially eerie-looking place. It seemed a place only the wealthy could afford to stay for the weekend. There were five framed pictures altogether, each one showing this hotel through different generations. The last and oldest of which appeared to be an Old West setting, though the hotel itself did not appear to fit with the architecture of that time period. Upon closer inspection of the pictures, the building looked exactly the same in every one, though it appeared larger in each image. Not like the image was blown up or anything, it looked the same, but it was significantly larger compared to people, trees, and vehicles and such. The most recent image, or the one that appeared to be more recent, almost looked like toy trucks and cars were parked outside of it. It just didn't scale like real things do. You're messing with your head, Mikey. I mumbled to myself. The more I studied the framed pictures, I noticed the surroundings were not the same from image to image. Yes, they were through different generations, but the landscape wasn't the same. Whether old buildings and parking lots were present or not. Also, not one of the photos showed a beach. I turned to look out the window again, almost to assure myself that there was indeed a beach. To hell with this. I said aloud once more. I decided to get the hell out of this room. I didn't have time to dwell on such silly things as photoshopped images. I had to escape and find my way back to my only friend. There was a door, almost parallel to the window on the other side of the room. As I approached it and outstretched my hand to grab the doorknob, my hand bumped into the wall. What I assumed to be a door was just a very realistic painting of a door more realistic and three-dimensional than any like I'd ever seen. Even holding my hand to the image of the doorknob, it looked real. It felt like I could just wrap my fingers around it. I pounded the wall door and found that it was solid. It felt and sounded like I was hitting a concrete block, but I rubbed my hand across it and it felt like smooth wood. This made no sense, none at all. I scanned the room for any sign of an exit point. Nothing. Four flat walls, one with a large window and one with a goddamn picture of a door. I still wasn't convinced it was the drugs messing with my eyes, but I was sure it wasn't exactly real. Whether it was drugs or an elaborate set and some nifty special effects, it wasn't real. Window it is, I sighed. I leaned out the open window to see I appeared to be on the second floor. Not too bad. I climbed out and hung from the ledge to get myself as close as possible to the ground before letting go. I dropped straight down, right into the sand. The beach came directly up to the hotel. No paving or sidewalk, just the beach and building. To be honest, I was quite surprised to actually hit the beach I'd seen from the window. I was halfway expecting it to be an illusion, and I'd fall to my death from twenty floors up or even land on spikes cleverly hidden by the illusion. I took my shoes off and rolled up my pant legs. For one, I didn't want sand in my shoes. Two, I couldn't resist feeling the sand between my toes. It felt heavenly. I knew I had to figure out my way back, but I couldn't even begin to know what I was heading back to. Truthfully, I'd be happy to stay there, wherever here was, for a bit longer, but I had to find Grant. Who knows what sort of situation he was in. Orchid clearly did not care for his disrespect, and I had no doubt he would want to make an example of him. Even with that in mind, I still took a moment to walk down to the shore, to feel the waves rush over my feet and just breathe in the ocean air. My head felt clearer now. As the water splashed over my feet, I started to realize how quiet it was. No seagulls squawking above, no rustling of leaves on the trees. No trees, for that matter. I turned to look back at the hotel I had dropped from to see that this was not the hotel in the pictures on the wall. It looked to be four floors in all, an elegant looking beachfront hotel, but nothing gothic or eerie. Just... A regular building. I walked back towards the hotel and hoped to find the entrance. I thought the lobby may contain some sort of clues to where I actually was. Perhaps some flyers advertising roadside attractions or even some information in what city I was in. I started walking along the outside walls, passing the windows of the ground floor's rooms, all of which were locked, with their curtains drawn. I tried to pry open a couple along the way, but to no avail. I walked maybe fifty feet until I found the end of the rear side of the building and followed it around. More windows, more rooms. After a while, I had successfully traversed the entire length of the building on all sides. No doors, no entrance, just rooms and windows. I made more efforts to open some of the windows. I found some large rocks and tried to smash some of them, when they all proved to be inaccessible. Nothing. Not a scratch. It reminded me of the painting of the door. It felt like I was slamming rock to boulder, not glass. Clearly I was meant to escape this place but to not re-enter. I scanned the surrounding area back from what I assumed to be the front of the structure. Though that was impossible to tell. Only sand surrounded me. It was like this place was erected right in the center of a beach. The only landmark I had was the ocean. I can't walk that way, I thought. So I chose to walk straight in the direction away from the water. The far end of the shoreline on each side gave way to rocks. I could possibly traverse them, but I assumed they were more of a sign saying, not this way. So I started walking. About ten minutes into my stroll, I noticed that I could still hear the waves as clear as before. I turned back, expecting the hotel right behind me still, but no. I could still see it in the distance. It seemed farther off than I would have thought after only ten minutes of walking through the sand, but I didn't question it just shrugged it off as one of the lesser parts of today's dose of madness. I continued walking. It wasn't hot. Well, not overly. It felt nice, if I'm being honest. Pleasant breeze, sand between my toes. If it wasn't for everything else this day had shown me, I'd actually be enjoying myself. After about an hour, I started to make out a shape in the distance ahead of me. I picked up the pace to a light jog, which is not the easiest thing to do in sand, but I made better time. As I got closer, sand gave way to gravel. I brushed the sand off my feet with my hand, put my shoes back on, and stopped for a few minutes to catch my breath. It was at this moment that I realized how much I could use a smoke. Cigarettes were still in my pocket. I drew one of them from the pack and gave it a sniff. Paranoid, perhaps, but a laced cigarette would be a shitty way to go after all this. Everything checked out, so I lit it and took a deep drag. As the smoke cleared from the first enthusiastic inhale, I looked toward the shape I was nearing. This was the building from the images lining the wall of the hotel room. It was still a good distance off, but I knew that was it. I started walking again. Somewhat slower than before, but I suddenly did not feel in a rush to reach my destination. The closer I got, the larger the building appeared. Still, the length of the football field away, this monstrosity looked larger than if I was standing right at its front door. My heart started racing again. I had no idea what was coming, but it was not going to be remotely as pleasant as my classy hotel room at the beach. I reached what appeared to be the entrance. Two ginormous doors stood closed in front of me. I must have looked like a kid's doll next to this place. The doors were maybe thirty feet tall and as many wide between the two. What me even more by surprise were the doorknobs. Two regularly sized knobs protruded from the doors just as far from the ground as a regular door's knob would have. I wanted to get to Grant. I wanted to know he was safe, though I couldn't know if he was even here. Perhaps all of us were scattered to different hotels from different sections of wherever the hell this place was. I walked backward from the doors and glanced from side to side. I needed to scope this place out. I started to walk the length of the building to the left of the doors. I don't think huge is big enough to describe this mammoth. I kept glancing up as I continued onward. The architecture of this place was amazing to my untrained eye, anyway. couldn't even tell what it was made of. It didn't look like brick and mortar, sure as shit wasn't wood or sheetrock and siding. It almost seemed... <sighs> no. Not ready to think that out loud. My thoughts were so busy, I didn't even realize a half hour had passed since I started spanning the face of this building, and there was still no end in sight. Had it looked this wide from a distance? I could have sworn it just looked like it did in the photographs from a way off. I turned back around, and could see the double doors right behind me. Yep, I said out loud. Exactly what I was expecting at the hotel. They got me with this one momentarily considered walking to the right and trying again, but I knew that wouldn't work. I took one last drive from one last cigarette, dropped it to the ground, and squashed the cherry with my shoe. Here goes nothing, I sighed, reaching out to grab the doorknob. It turned a lot easier than I expected. The door felt lighter than I would have thought as I swung it to open. I stepped through to find a wide, open, and darkly lit room with a large winding staircase on either side. The coloring and design of the place was very reminiscent of the room where we were meant to return to. Strangely, everything was more in line with the normal scale and proportion. I stepped backward out of the door and looked up to see the same giant one I'd opened. I walked back to find a normal-sized door behind me. Had I grown larger upon stepping through? Did the building shrink to fit me when I entered? I shook my head and walked all the way in. The door slammed behind me, louder than such a small door would sound. Yep, I said again, sighing heavily. I wandered on. The room was massive, even at the scale of a normal building. I could only imagine how large it would be if it compared to how it looked on the outside. The walls were the same glossy black as the exterior, though. It did not resemble any paint or material I was familiar with. There were subtle sounds from all around me, creaks and hums, almost as if the walls were breathing and expanding and contracting as its lungs filled and deflated. My footsteps caused a strange sort of echo. Not quite like the sound vibrations bouncing off the walls, but hard to pinpoint quite what was off about them. The air tasted stale, and there was a scent of something unnatural. It wasn't unpleasant, mind you. I didn't recoil from the odor in disgust, but I didn't like it either. Maybe like an old library filled with ancient tomes from ages gone by. There were rooms to either side of me, but something told me the stairs were to be my destination. As I stepped toward the staircase to my left, I looked up to see what was ahead of me. It looked as though it went on forever. The staircase led to the next level, which in turn had its own staircase that led to the next, and so on. It was impossible to get a read on how many floors there were. I just kept going up until my eyes could not register anything else. I let out another heavy and trembling sigh. There was no telling how many stairs I'd have to climb to get to where I needed to go. Not to mention I had absolutely no clue as to where Grant or anyone else may be. I just raised my foot to the first step when I heard a blood-curdling scream made even more unnerving due to the strange echo. I stepped back. Where did that even come from? I gave it a few minutes after the building fell silent before I tried again. Almost as soon as I made the unconscious decision to make a second attempt, another scream bellowed from above, even more jarring than the last. As I would soon discover, this was not just one scream, but three. They belonged to the trio of people that came falling from one of the higher floors. I looked up and saw them flailing toward me. I ran and jumped to one side as the first landed with a loud splat. Two more followed directly after. I shuffled back on my ass as far as I could get from the mess of corpses that had just practically exploded on top of each other. I started hyperventilating, gasping for breath. I was still trying to slide it away from the bloody mound of human flesh and bone. Even after my back hit a wall, I kept pushing My feet against the floor as I tried my best to slow my breathing back down. The last thing I needed was to pass out in a place like this. It took a moment. But I managed to regulate my breathing, though I still couldn't steady my shaking limbs. I had to know who these three were. Please don't be Grant. I muttered to myself over and over. With my legs trembling, I edged closer to the lump in the center of the room. They'd fallen from very high up by the look of what was left of them. I couldn't make out the faces, but hair, perhaps. Clothes they were wearing, maybe. I was still dressed in the same as I was before we boarded the bus this morning. Surely everyone else was still dressed as they were before, too. Brown hair, red hair, and blonde. Grant is blonde his hair is long though he had it tied into a ponytail today this was short hair the ginger and the brunette both had shaggy hair from what I could tell red hair was James I realized I hadn't talked to him much but he was the only redhead blonde had to be Clancy going by the blue t-shirt had a painted hot rod on it yeah that was Clancy he was pretty quiet Seemed a nice guy. Young, though. Couldn't have been more than his early 20s. Poor kid. I sighed. The brown hair, though. Several of the guys had brown hair. Green shirts. Red stripes? Or is that blood? I pulled the shirt a bit with my foot, fighting against the lump that formed in my throat due to the sound the pile made when my foot made contact. Green and red. <sighs> what the hell? I asked aloud. Could they have thrown his body over the rail? I shook my head from side to side as I started to walk away from this mess. I chose just to assume it was nothing more than a body disposal of sorts until I noticed the stitches. The bodies had basically exploded on top of each other. Which one was which was impossible to tell, but it looked as though Chuck's head had been stitched back onto his body. No. Hell no, I said, backing away from the bodies. I made for the stairs again as I heard an awful sound. It was a bubbling squelching sound I turned to see the bodies wriggling and popping they appeared to be shrinking almost no not shrinking I realized they were dissolving into the floor the building demands blood I whispered echoing Orchid's words from earlier I turned and sprinted up the steps without so much as a thought of looking back. I went about four floors up before I stopped to take a breath. I was dying for a smoke, but didn't think the building would like that too much. As preposterous as I was even to think, I heard voices maybe two floors up from where I stood. Clutching my splitting side, I couldn't make out what they were saying, but they sounded somewhat familiar from what I could hear. I started to head towards the next flight when my mind went crazy with thoughts of what had happened to the guys with the floor. Was there a fight? Were they trying to lessen the competition? Was something else attacking them? Orchid said surprises and nothing I've seen since awakening in the hotel by the beach made any sense at all. Surprises, I said aloud. You ain't fucking lying. I decided to head towards the voices. They didn't seem to be in any sort of argument. The talking sounded calm from what I could make out. Truthfully, the idea of having someone or anyone to talk to about all this craziness set my mind at ease a little. I hurried up the first flight and on to the next. I leapt two steps at a time, trying to reach them quicker. Three more floors up now, and the voices still seemed higher up. Of course, I barked. "'God forbid anything be easy in this goddamn place!' I yelled loudly. The voices stopped. "'Shit,' I thought. Scared them off. I continued up the stairs. Two more floors up, the voices started again. They sounded much closer now. The very next floor, they seemed to be coming from a room to the right of the stairs. They definitely sounded familiar. I knew those voices. My heart raced quicker than it had since I experienced death from above. My hand was shaking as I raised it to the doorknob. Had I been trembling this whole time, or had this particular anticipation just set it off again? I turned it and opened the door. I don't remember entering the room. I only recall opening the door. I found myself standing inside the room with the door closed to my back. My jaw hung agape as in front of me. My parents stood. It was them. I knew it was them, but they looked different somehow. Younger and less worn down by life than I'd ever seen them. They turned to look at me. I suddenly realized that they towered above me as they came closer. I looked at my hands and gasped at the hands of a child that lay before my gaze. What the fuck? I cried aloud in a voice that almost made me want to laugh for a moment. It was the voice of a child. I was a kid again. I felt my face and my hair. I looked down at the holy socks on my tiny feet. This couldn't be real, right? My father bore down on me, so much larger than I ever remember him being. His features were contorting in unnatural ways. It was his face, but it almost appeared stretched over a large skull or something. He looked young and happy when I first came. What was this? He picked me up by my shoulders, a feeling I remembered all too well. Do you see what you did to us?" He screamed in my face. His breath was foul, a smell like I'd never encountered it, almost burned my nostrils and my eyes. I had a fight from spewing into his face. My mother came staggering up beside him, the same stretched and contorted face. We were so happy before you, she said calmly before screaming the last word. Her breath was as revolting as her husband's. Split flew out of her mouth into my slack-jawed, gaping mouth. I gagged. I didn't want to taste it, but I could not. It tasted so much worse than the smell would have suggested. I couldn't fight against it. I threw up all over my parents, and my father threw me against the wall, causing a large dent and crack to form across the whole thing. You demon. You disgusting little demon, he screamed. The skull seemed to be growing as the skin stayed the same. He staggered over to where he had tossed me. His movements were as unnatural as his face, cackling and shifting as he moved. One leg grown larger than the other and twisted this way and that. The bones on his left hand had torn through the tips of his fingers. He picked me up with his right hand, which was still the same size, but I had grown two more fingers and a second thumb, both of which had no skin just bone and muscle tissue. Those bony fingers pierced my shoulder as he lifted me from where I lay at the base of the wall which was still forming new cracks which were reaching across it. He lifted me, level with his face. You tore our dreams away! He screamed as his words became more muffled from his skull pushing its way through his flesh. His lower jaw burst through the skin and detached on the right side of his face. He was still yelling at me, trying to say words, but they were just gurgles and pops now as his half-detached lower jaw flipped around, trying desperately to form speech. His tongue detached as his jaw flailed. It launched from his gaping maw and slapped me in the face. It launched from his gaping maw and slapped me in the face before tumbling down my tiny body to splat on the floor. I wanted to gag again. Before I got the chance, his enlarged, bony hand started punching me once and once again. I couldn't tell if the blood spraying on the walls was mine or his as more and more of his flesh gave way. My mother just uh, disgustingly mutated as my father was cheering him on from the sidelines, her jaw completely detached as she jumped up and down, singing his praises and gargles, moans, and whines. I knew I had to break free. I had to get loose. The wall formed a giant crack just above where my feet were hanging. I lodged my heels into it. I pushed up as hard as I could. I squealed as the bones penetrating my shoulder pulled free. My now mostly skeletal father punched the wall as I got loose, fully intending to have smashed the knuckles into my face. His wrist broke as his hand made contact, and his hand fell to the floor, and a more aggressive cracked spider webbed from where he had just connected. I knew that would have been the fatal blow had I not broken free. As I made for the door, my deformed and grotesque parents bore down on me. I almost made it to the doorknob when I heard a loud banging on the door from the other side. Shit, I thought. Was I heading to something better? Or worse? My pursuers were moving considerably slower now. They were both significantly larger on one side than the other. The smaller side still held some flesh, some semblance of something human. The other side was just enlarged and jagged bone and muscle tissue. Whatever was on the other side of the door had to be better than this. I got to the door and grabbed the knob and tried to turn it. Nothing. It wouldn't budge. The warped husks of my parents moved closer. Smells rancid. Every move they made, something else fell off of them, smacking and splashing sounds as bits and pieces hit the floor. I was screwed, and I knew it. My father reached out to grab me with his arm that no longer had a hand. He stopped and looked at his broken wrist bone. He. He started laughing. I think it was laughter. It was a howling sound of madness. He held his wrist in front of what was left of my mother and she echoed his wailing. It was horrible to hear, making the queasiness I was feeling even more intolerable. I was stunned. Nowhere to go. No way out. They'd stop laughing and get back to me in a moment. I didn't have a chance against them in this childlike body. Honestly, I don't know if I'd be able to fight them off if I was still full-sized. How do you even defend yourself against something like this? The slants from the other side grew louder and louder. Finally, a giant axe slit the door in the center. My parents looked up and screamed while they began to bear down on me again two hands reached through and pulled the door apart another hand grabbed my shirt collar and pulled me back just in time to avoid my father's foot which slammed hard onto the ground as I had just been sitting on as soon as I was free from the room the door reformed itself as I heard the screams of what remained of my parents become silent once more I looked at the door and noticed my feet man sized feet in shoes no less "'I looked up. "'Grant and Brandon looked down on me. "'I'll oh, lost you, mate,' he said with a long sigh. "'Oh, goddamn, it's good to see you, man,' said with a smile I never thought I'd feel form on my face again. "'Both of you, for that matter,' I said, wrapping my arms around them. "'We all held each other for what felt like several minutes. "'They were both shaking as much as I was. "'Did you see them?' I asked, my voice still trembling. Brandon nodded, having trouble finding his voice. Yeah, mate, we saw. What the hell was that? He asked. My parents, I said, laughing slightly at the madness of it all. And you didn't even introduce your best mate, Grant said in an alarmed tone. Dirty wanker, he said dismissively, turning his back to me. He couldn't hold back the laughter he was trying to muffle. I started laughing too, and then Brandon joined in. I dropped back onto the floor. Brandon and Grant followed. We slid out, backed to the wall, then took a moment to recover our senses. After a while of silence, other than the unnerving sounds of the building, I asked, So what have you guys been up to? Truth be told, I was afraid of the answer, but I needed to know still. It was bad, man. Really bad, Brandon said. If Grant hadn't come along, I don't. His voice trailed off as tears began to stream down his face. Grant put his hand on Brandon's shoulders and lightly massaged it. It's all right, mate, he said. They were both bloody and beaten. As Brandon raised his hands to cover his face, I noticed a torn piece of Grant's shirt was wrapped around his left hand, covering what appeared to be bloody stumps where his ring and pinky fingers used to reside. Grant had a large gash across his forehead. A small chunk of his earlobe was missing and his left eye was swollen and almost shut. I gestured to the gash across his forehead. Bloody tosser tried to scalp me, he said, sounding shocked. Jesus Christ, who? I asked Chuck He went on to explain that he woke up In a flea ridden filthy hotel room Next to a deserted trailer park He seemed genuinely Irritated after I told him where I woke The rest of his experience Was similar but when he entered this Building he found himself on one of the higher Floors He started to fill me in on Brandon's Situation but when Brandon started to Shudder and cry again he cut himself Off He had a bit of a worse trip than us, man. He left it at that. He told me how he found me was similar to how he found Brandon. Disturbing noises and screams coming from one of the rooms. He'd apparently taken the axe from Daniel and one of the other contestants who had seemed under a spell or something. He tried to save him, but after unsuccessfully attacking Grant with the axe, he became enraged. He held the axe blade toward him and propped the back against the wall before he started headbutting it. He kept slamming his head into it, even after it was split in two. Grant sat his eyes wide. He started shaking again. Eventually he wasn't hitting the axe, just both sides of his head beating into the wall on either side. Till there wasn't much left. He was staring straight forward in a blank stare. We sat in silence again. We weren't sure what our next steps would be, nor were there any of the other remaining players were, if any remained. Brandon had finally regained his composure. So, what do you guys think? he asked. Where do we go from here? We all looked up at each other. I'd say we continue up, I suggested. I started about five floors up. I don't know what else is up there. Just thought I should head down, Grant said. I came in through the lobby, like you, Brandon said, nodding his head at me. Then we've covered from five floors above down to the ground, I stated. Did you notice that there was a lower level? Grant asked. I felt stupid for a moment. Shit, man. I didn't even think to look, I sighed. Then we have two options. Grant said. We know things are, well, somewhat easy going from here to the ground. We have no bloody idea how ruddy high this goes, he said, craning his neck to look as high as he could. So it couldn't hurt to roll out any lower floors before we head to the stars, I concluded, looking high above me. Sounds like we got a plan, gents, Brandon said. We all sat still for a moment, showing no motivation to get going. After we had successfully put our asses to sleep from sitting for so long, we silently decided to get moving. The staircase was wide enough for us to walk down side by side. We wanted to be able to keep each other easily in view. I, for one, had seen enough horror movies to know that the guy in the back could easily be pulled away before anyone was the wiser. We kept a fast pace as we descended the steps. We cleared at least four floors before we knew it. "'Do you hear that?' Brandon asked hesitantly. Grant and I looked around each other and around us. "'Yeah, I mean,' Grant replied. I nodded, signifying I'd also noticed the wall's breathing had become considerably louder. We quickened our pace, almost jogging down the stairs." walls were much more visible in their movement now. They almost looked as though something was trying to push its way through them. There were also moaning sounds that accompanied the heaving. As we approached the ground floor, the walls were intensely shaking. The breathing sound had become heavier, and we could almost feel it, like actual breath on the back of our necks. The moaning had become a constant wailing. We stepped onto the floor after the final step to find the ground trembling beneath our feet. Whatever the grand finale was to be, it was coming soon. This summer, at a theater near us, it would seem. As before, there were two rooms joined on the ground floor, one on either side. Grant pulled a coin from his pocket. Heads left, tails right, he suggested, looking at each of us for approval. We nodded. He tossed the coin and held out his hand to catch it. The quarter spun in the air and suddenly dropped faster like a bullet. It shot through the ground through Grant's outstretched hand. God damn it! Grant screamed, grabbing his hand with the other. I tore a strip of cloth from the bottom of my shirt and quickly tied it around his hand. She doesn't let up, he yelled. The coin had stuck into the floor. No answer to heads or tails debate in sight. Grant looked down and remarked that had was facing us while tails pointed toward the door. Good enough, he stated. We agreed, and we made for the left. Are you taking the piss? Grant belted as we passed through the open door to find a large room with one door at the rear, with all four of our fallen teammates standing in line in front of it. Every one of them looked as though they had been through hell. Some had limbs missing, others' faces were torn to shreds with gashes and cuts across their bodies in all directions. Chuck himself stood in front. His head was still halfway stitched on one side with the other side leaning wide open with blood steadily flowing from it. Each of our former competitors held a weapon. Axes, swords, other nasty blades. Daniel had a set of nunchucks. Grant offered the yaks he was still holding to Brandon. He looked at me, and I nodded my approval. Grant hadn't always been the best fighter, but we trained a lot over the years. Frankly, I'd gotten tired of having to fight people off him, and lightly suggested it was time for him to learn. He was a remarkably quick study, and I found it was more and more difficult to hold my own against him when we would spar. We could scrap. Even armed, these bastards didn't all have... Well, both their arms. We could get a weapon off of at least one of them each. Brandon accepted the axe and held it lightly with both hands. I didn't know if he could fight. I knew he was a con, but that didn't mean he was violent or even knew how to be violent. We got this, I said. More to convince myself than the others, I think. The row of corpses stood straight up and bowed to us. How respectful. I said and smiled at Grant. He nodded and we charged while they were still bent over. Brandon followed and instantly sunk the axe into James' lowered head, dropping him to the floor. Grant and I shoulder-rammed the two closest to the left. They hit the ground and we kicked and stomped their heads until we felt the skulls cave in. I picked up the sword that had dropped from my victim's hand and Grant found himself once more holding an axe. By this point, the others were charging us. Brandon had already separated another's head from their body, while four more rushed Grant and I. I dodged to the side as the sword swung by my face. It still dug into my right shoulder, but I pulled it away before it could go too deep. It still hurt like a son of a bitch. Grant had blocked another axe and a sword that came at him with an axe handle, though his hand was still spewing blood from the impaling quarter screamed in pain as he kicked one of them back and as he spun his axe around and buried it deep into Duane's neck Larry whose sword had just attempted to take my arm off swung around after I diverted his swipe he raised his arm the only one he had left and made to swing at me again I swiped my blade across his neck before he had the chance to bring his weapon down he staggered back and before he could find his bearings I swung again He didn't take his head off, but it tore through enough of his throat to put an end to his assault. He dropped to his knees and down to the floor. Only two remained, as well as Chuck, who was still just standing to the side, watching. One came at me, and as Grant slammed the axe head into his gut, I swung my sword down across his neck as he bent over from the axe blow. The other made for Grant's. Before he could get close, Brandon dropped his axe blade right into the center of the top of the attacker's head. His arms fell limp, and he dropped to the floor. I yanked my blade out of our victim's neck, and he dropped to the ground too. Grant let his axe stay in the guy's stomach, and he reached down and picked up the sword that still had my blood dripping from it. Chuck paced back and forth, swinging his sword. It was the same design as the ornate blade that had just removed his head, but a good deal longer. He swung it back and forth as he glared at us. He started moving his mouth as though he meant to speak, but all we heard was gargled bubbling whine from where his neck was split open. He stopped pacing and looked at us dejectedly. His sword arm dropped to his side and he grabbed the top of his head with his other hand, pushing his head back down onto his neck. ''Sorry about that,'' he said, smiling on the one side of his face that wasn't hanging limp. His voice was strained but audible. ''As I was saying,'' he said lightly, ''You let him kill me, you bastards!'' In a much more rage-filled yet scratchy voice, ''You just stood there and let it happen!'' What the hell could we have done? Brandon insisted. We had twenty guns pointed at us. You're the dumbass that just walked up to the son of a bitch. You could have. Chuck yelled before his words returned to wheezing gargles as he released his head to wave his hands in anger. He dropped his arms to his side, appearing defeated for a moment. He grabbed his head once more and angrily squashed it back down. You could have done something, he barked, barely missing a beat. Grant stepped forward and dropped the sword to the floor. I'm sorry, mate. I really am. None of us wanted this for you. You don't deserve this end, and I truly wish I could do something to help you. If you let us go, I swear we'll make this bastard pay for what he did to you. Chuck studied him for a moment. They just stared back at each other for some time. It was as though they were having a secret nonverbal conversation. Minutes felt as though they slowly dragged by while the two gazed at one another. Finally, after Chuck formed a strange smile across one of the functioning sides of his face, he raised his sword arm and jammed the blade into the wall with the blade pointing sideways toward himself. The only way that door will open, he said, diverting his eyes to the large door at the back of the room. As if I'm dead. He looked at the three of us for a moment, cutting his eyes from one of us to the next before resetting his gaze on Grant. He gave a subtle nod while holding his head in place with his hand. Get metal, boys, he said before slamming his neck against the blade sticking out of the wall, severing the remaining stitches, holding his head in place. He fell to the ground and his body dropped for the last time. Goodbye, Chuck. I said, saluting the man who sacrificed himself to allow us to pass the door creaked open behind us. Grant crouched down beside Chucky's body. He reached his hand over the eyes of the severed head and closed them shut. He stood up and turned toward us. There was something very different about his demeanor. couldn't quite put my finger on it, but it wasn't himself. I suppose none of us were after what we'd been through. Shall we? He asked, gesturing to the open door. He walked forward, and we followed him through. The door had opened to a long hallway. The walls lining the hall were of the same decor as the rest of the building, but they did not seem to harbor life as the rest of them had. Grant walked at a steady pace without slowing or speeding. He remained silent and did not look back at us. I stayed in the back to be able to watch out for the other two. I felt safer with myself exposed to the rule of the guy in the back, though I would glance behind me from time to time. The hallway carried on for some time. Nothing changed as we strolled on. The walls were mostly bare and there was nothing to signify we were even making progress. On my regular glances to my rear, I could tell that we were moving far away from the room filled with the bodies of our former competitors. After walking for what felt like half an hour, we reached an old-fashioned elevator. One of those with a gate in the front and the half-circle spindle on top to indicate which floor the elevator had reached. There were no floors numbered, though, and the spindle lay still at the bottom left. Grant opened the gate and looked in. He seemed assured that all was safe and beckoned us inside. Brandon entered first, and I followed. Finally, Grant walked in and turned to face the outside without making eye contact with either of us. I looked around the elevator to see no sign of any floor numbers, just one single button marked with an upward arrow. Looks like we're going up after all, I said. Grant pulled the gate shut and pushed the button without hesitation. The fairly spacious elevator shook a little before it started heading upward at a decent rate of speed. I think we all knew this was going to be a long trip, regardless of how fast we were traveling. My friend pulled a pack of cigarettes from his pocket and held it, splayed it open toward me. I pulled one out and he offered it to Brandon. He received a slightly crumpled smoke himself. Grant pulled out another and lit it, taking a deep drag as he handed me the lighter, and I handed it to Brandon after I lit mine. I guess there was no sense worrying about hurting the building's feelings, though. Did not expect to leave this place alive, even if we could reach the goddamn exit. The elevator started to slow as our smokes were reaching their end. Do you trust me, Michael? Grant spoke in a voice that did not sound like his it was somehow more sophisticated than he normally sounded this would not be a voice that questioned whether or not someone was taking a piss with my life I replied he wasn't himself at the moment but how could he be I did trust him nothing could change that Brandon? Grant asked Brandon looked for me as if for affirmation yeah man I trust you he said by the sincerity in his voice I could tell he genuinely did with or without my nod Grant took one final deep drag from his cigarette and dropped it to the floor smearing it out with his foot the elevator came to a halt I dropped my smoke as did Brandon there was no gate on this end just a short hallway that had one opening on the right and a large and familiar-looking door straight ahead. Grant stepped off and headed forward. I started to ask which way we should go as we passed the opening on the right. It led to a stairwell. It actually looked to be the stairway I first walked up to the large cathedral room, though I didn't recall anything in direction opposing the large door. Grand Camp walking, and took no hesitation in pushing the large door open in front of us. It did indeed lead to the enormous room from before, and we were greeted with cheers from the crowd. Applause roared as we walked by the rows of seats with so many of our betters still perched upon them. I noticed they seemed to be dressed differently than before. How long had we been out there? Hours? Days? Days? Surely not weeks. Orchid stood by the altar with his arms outstretched. He was singing his praises for one of the best performances he'd seen in years. Grant stopped just feet from Orchid. The gunmen were now lined up behind our benefactor, raised their weapons, and trained them on Grant. Brandon and I moved up on either side of him. What in the name of hell was that Grant demanded, staring down Orchid with pure hatred in his eyes. The name of hell, indeed, Orchid replied, as his eyes filled with contempt. And your final task, he declared, which you performed beautifully. He raised his arms higher as the crowd roared louder. What now, Grant asked smugly. Orchid smiled and waved a hand at Green, who'd been standing off to the side by the row of guards. The tiebreaker, Orchid sneered. Without warning, Green pulled a gun from his shoulder holster and shot Brandon twice in the chest. No! Grant and I both screamed. Brandon dropped to the floor, gripping his chest and grasping for air. We surrounded him and I grabbed his hand in mine. Green signaled two of the guards to come down. They grabbed each Grant and I and pulled us off Brandon. They held us in place, facing Orchid. Brandon was coughing and fighting to hold on to life while the audience applauded and cheered. We were forced to watch as our friend fought for a few moments until he fell silent and still. You'll pay for that, Grant said through gritted teeth. There can be only one winner, dear boy, Orchid said as though it were fact. He held his hand out toward Green, who placed his pistol into it. Now, Orchid said, we choose a winner. He smiled and pointed the gun towards us. We were both fighting to break free of the guard's grasp, but Christ, they were strong. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Orchid recited in a childlike voice, swapping the gun's aim between us with each word. Catch a peasant by the toe. He stopped with the gun trained on Grant. He smiled widely and with intent etched onto his face. I knew it was coming. I ran my heel into the guard's left shin. He buckled enough for me to break free. I threw myself in front of Grant as Orchid pulled the trigger. Michael, no! Grant yelled. The bullet hit me in the stomach. The pain was instantaneous and almost intolerable to bear. I dropped to the floor, buckled over in agony. I hoped this would be enough to quench Orchid's thirst. Grant would be the winner and I could be left to die. I had to save my friend. He was all I cared about anymore. I never expected to leave here alive. As soon as we arrived in this room for the first time, I already had my mind made up on that fact. I knew this was it. I was okay with it. He was the only friend I'd known for so long. I controlled the pain well as I was able, and as I looked up at my friend, my brother, I nodded to him. (sighs) It's okay, mate. I smiled. Oh, Michael he said. He was shaking his head as tears started to trickle down his face. Oh, how touching. The mob on either side laughed as though it was the funniest joke they'd ever heard. The thing is, he continued, that bullet was to choose the winner. He laughed as he raised the gun and pointed at Grant once more. No, no, I whispered. Grant smirked down at me. There was that look again. He raised his head up to meet Orchid's gaze. For a moment, they just stared at each other. There was something in Grant's eyes while he stared into Orchid's. I swear, for a second there, Orchid looked scared. The room fell silent as the two looked upon each other. Grant's mouth slowly turned into a far more sinister smile than I thought he was capable of. Four gunshots in succession broke the silence, all plowing into my friend's chest. I hung my head and pounded the ground with my fists. You son of a bitch, I screamed, though it hurt like hell. Tears now streamed from my eyes as Orchid strolled down from his high horse. He walked toward Grant, who was still staring at him with that smile. He wasn't even wincing from the pain or shock. Orchid held the barrel of a gun right against Grant's forehead. skin started to sizzle as the barrel was still burning from the previous shots. Grant still didn't react. Orchid looked down his nose at my friend with sheer hatred. "'I had my money on you,' he said, raising his eyebrows." One last shot echoed through the wide room as the back of my best friend's head blew onto the ground and the crowd roared. Orchid handed the gun back to Green and he raised his arms once more, turning his gaze to his adoring fans. There you have it, good people. Another successful venture. And here's to our winner. He grabbed my arm and pulled it up to signify my victory. I coughed and gagged from the pain before he dropped my arm back to join me on the floor. "'Congratulations to those who made out well. "'I thought I'd lost much due to this ignorant fool,' he said in disgust as he kicked me in the stomach. "'I buckled more and coughed a chunk of thick, dark blood onto the floor. "'Orchid sighed, dropping his shoulders as he saw my blood smeared on his shoe. "'He pulled Green towards him by his shirt collar. "'Disgusting,' he muttered while wiping his shoes on Green's pants. I couldn't help finding this a little funny considering how not too long ago he was showering himself in the fresh essence of Chuck. He mumbled something to Green and his hulking bodyguard walked back to the altar. He returned moments later holding up a large suitcase which Orchid unzipped to reveal it still held the $15 million worth of $100 bills. He dropped it beside me, spilling funds onto the floor. Here's your prize. You should live long enough to enjoy it, he smirked. Green will be back in the morning to check on you. I have a feeling he'll be returning this bag to me soon after. Make back up some of the money I lost on your friend. That last part was said with pure hatred in his voice. He then walked toward the altar and pulled the pen out once more. He dipped the tip into Brandon's blood and wrote his name in the book. Then he did the same with Grant. He blew on the page one last time before walking away from the altar toward the door, waving his hands in the air to prompt his guests to start gathering towards the back. As the audience got out of the chairs and made toward the exit, the row of gunmen came down from the altar to follow. As everyone shuffled in the direction of the door, I felt a hand gently touch my stomach. I winced, even a light touch, Heart like hell. "'I'll take it from here, Michael,' a familiar voice spoke. "'Grant?' I said quietly, but still shocked. He slid over Brandon's body and laid a hand on his chest. As Brandon's corpse began to twitch, I felt almost unbearable agony in my stomach and shoulder. Grant got to his feet and called out toward the group heading for the exit. "'Allow me, if you will,' to clear a few things up, he said in a very calm and slightly arrogant tone. The crowd whipped around. The guards quickly raised their guns and began to fire. A barrage of bullets drilled into Grant. They kept firing until Orchid raised a hand in the assault. Grant, to my surprise, still stood in place. As I was saying, he began again, to clear things up. Firstly, "'These two men,' he gestured to Branton and I, "'are a thousand times more than the man you are, Mr. Orchid.' He stared coldly at the slack-jawed benefactor of the week's games. "'And secondly,' he continued, "'turning to me briefly with an apologetic look on his face "'before turning his gaze back to the group. "'I have never written a Bible.' "'Everyone was stunned, including myself.' I'm not as pompous as my father, he said bluntly. The room remained silent for a moment, and Orchid Grant continued to stare each other down once more. I winced as a sharp pain shot through my stomach and shoulder. I grabbed at my midsection, and to my continued surprise, I found that my wound was closed. There wasn't even a mark, just residual blood still covering my shirt and pants. I glanced to the side to see Brandon. Still laying on the floor, though, he was beginning to move slightly. I was distracted again as Grant began to speak once more. So, my question to you, Mr. Orchid what exactly is that book? He asked, pointing back toward the large tomb still resting on the altar. The book began to smoke slightly while Orker tried to regain his composure. It's as I said, boy, Lucifer's Bible. He barked, holding his head high as though he'd just won a prize for giving a correct answer. He then waved his hand to signal the guards to commence firing. That's enough of that, Grant said as he quickly outstretched his fingers on his right hand. Immediately, the gunmen screamed in agony as their fingers on both hands suddenly flipped backwards, almost making a reverse fist. The skin tore and sprayed dark blood from where the knuckles ripped through the skin and tissue. The doors slammed shut behind the bewildered crowd, and Green dropped his gun to the floor and started to back away from Orchid, who had begun to wear the expression of a small child who had just been caught smoking by his parents. You're not... Orchid stammered. You can't be. He was shaking his head from side to side as if this would make the scary man go away. A fresh puddle formed at his feet as his bladder gave way to fear. Money, he yelled out as if he'd just solved the equation to make things all right. I- I'll give you all I have. He swung around to face the crowd who were all in various stages of shock and whipped back around. All they have too. Grant started to walk slowly toward them. He rolled his shoulder slightly, and all of his wounds sealed themselves shut, and the blood faded away while his clothes flaked off and his body in a fiery cinders to reveal a very nice grey pinstriped three piece suit. His hair whipped back like it was being blown by the wind as it braided itself into a ponytail. He approached Orchid, who had dropped to the floor, right in his own fresh puddle of fear-induced lemonade. Grant crouched down in front of the whimpering man-child. Do I look like a man who is in dire need of funds? He tilted his head to the side, almost daring Orchid to speak. "I, I, I didn't know. Orchid was repeating over and over like a prayer, still shaking his head from side to side as if the monster under his bed was preparing to pounce. You didn't answer my question, Grant said as he stood back up. He placed his hands behind his back, lightly placing his left hand in his right. He stared down at the quivering heap of a man. I, I told you the tr- truth. He spoke, unable to control his newly developed stutter. It's been in my family for generations, he continued, tears flowing down his face. Green still stood a ways behind him, holding his hands in the air as if the SWAT team had impended. My father told me it was the dev- Your Bible, he stated, seemingly full believing this to be fact. Grant studied him for a moment. The crumpling Jensen still lay shaken on the floor. In this building, Grant spoke, still staring down at Orchid. What exactly is this place? A gateway, Orchid said, staring wide-eyed up at Grant. His tears seemed to stop. His body became still again, and he lifted himself up slightly. A gateway to hell, he stated, turning his gaze back to Orchid. He crouched down again to look directly into Orchid's eyes. I think I would know, he said, maybe two inches from Orchid's face. He stood up once more and walked away from the huddled group of the terrified rich. Mr. Orchid, Grant began again, Have you met anyone who claimed to be me or serve me? He asked, walking toward the altar. No, Orchid answered, but but my father did. Grant stopped. You know this. Yes, Orchid barked, getting to his feet. He would meet my father in my house. My father told me I would meet with him someday too, but not until he had passed, he stuttered, not only from fear now, but from excitement that he had something to offer, something to bargain with. Your father still lives, Grant asked, spinning back around to meet Orchid's gaze again. "'Yes,' Orchid said. "'You don't know?' "'I assumed you'd—' "'I'm not omniscient,' Grant interrupted. "'Anyone who claims to know all is both a fool and a liar,' he said softly, "'turning his gaze upward for a moment before turning back toward the book, "'which now had a light flame upon it. "'I can take you to him,' Orchid stammered. "'I can show you where—' "'He was once more interrupted as Grant spun again and held his finger to his mouth.' Orchid almost slammed his mouth shut. I'm not sure if it was of his own accord or of something similar to the guard's fingers. I looked from Grant to Orchid, to the crowd quivering on the floor, to Green still standing with his hands up in the air. The room was silent again, aside from the whimpers and whispers begging for mercy. You will not be bargaining yourself out of this, Grant said. A mischievous smile formed on his lips. I do need the information hiding inside your head. He strolled toward Orchid again. He stopped in front of the still-shivering man. But there are other ways to scoop it out. He looked into Orchid's eyes once more. Tears formed and began to flow for the second time. Grant turned himself around and looked at me. I heard a voice in my head say, You're going to like this, mate. He gave me a smirk I knew... All too well. He reached into his pocket inside his coat and pulled out a simple doorknob. It looked old, ancient even, but at the same time quite simple. Nothing ornate or elegant. Just an old doorknob. He held it out in front of him and appeared to jab it into the air before him. He turned the knob and the room echoed with a loud scraping sound that ended with a bang, as if something huge and metal had been pulled out of what was confining it. He pulled at the knob and reality itself seemed to tear away around the gaping door-shaded hole. The sound of centuries-old hinges screamed as the door-shaped hole swung open. From where I was sitting I couldn't see what was on the other side of the doorway but the sounds were not what I expected. It almost sounded like a bustling city. There were voices and shouting, mechanical sounds like gears turning. Then there was the occasional blood-curdling scream. Not what I expected to hear, I thought. All of a sudden, the large group of people screamed out in unison. They all ran for the door, pounding and yelling and begging to escape. Orchid plundered through them, pushing and punching, trying to force himself to the front. People were getting trampled by others. I could see Green's hand reaching out from a pile of bodies on the floor. Grant stepped to the side of the opening and placed his hand behind his back again as he turned to face the group. It was as if something invisible had shot itself from the doorway, wrapping itself around the crowd of terrified people. They were all pulled into a tightly wrapped macabre bouquet of bleeding flowers. I heard the tearing of flesh and fabric and the breaking of bones. They were all constricted and yanked into one large mass of cloth, skin, blood, and viscera. In an instant, they were pulled through the door and reality slammed shut behind them. The room fell silent once more. Grant looked upon the enormous streak of blood that led from the exit to where the gap between this world and another met for a moment. He turned slowly and walked toward me. You have questions, I imagine, he said in more of a Statement than a question as he dragged a couple of chairs from the side of the room to where I was sitting. I glanced at Brandon, who was still laying on the floor, seemingly sleeping it off. I noticed the fabric wrapped around his hand had separated where his two missing fingers had returned, and blood no longer poured from his chest. Grant held his hand out, and I gripped it tightly without hesitation, and he helped me to my feet. We both sat in the chairs facing each other. He had a look on his face that seemed almost ashamed. Trying to find words to break the silence, I asked. You're really... I couldn't seem to finish the question, but Grant simply nodded and replied. I am. With a slight half-smile. His expression was more relaxed now. I knew who he was, who he really was now, but I still only saw the face of my friend looking back at me. Why? I asked. Why all of this? Don't suppose mysterious ways would do the trick, he asked, sounding more like the guy I'd known for years. Isn't that the other guy's thing? I asked with a slight chuckle. I swear, Grant blurted, Children drown, get cancer, suffer and die, crops wilt and civilizations fall, and everybody and their ruddy's mother say, ooh, works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? And Nobody bats a bloody eye, but no. I swallow a ton of shitty people through a hole in the world and that's not good enough. Bugger me, he ranted. I cracked up. I was laughing until tears were streaming down my face. Before I knew it, he started laughing too. Our laughter echoed through the room, and I felt the first genuine smile I'd felt. Well, at least since this insane week started. It's a bit dramatic, don't you think? I asked, still chuckling. Grant just nodded and shrugged, wiping tears from his face. We settled down and looked at each other again. Years, Grant. We've been friends for years. What was that? Was it all just... I don't know, a con? Like a long con? I asked sincerely. No, Michael, he said. All we shared, all of it, everything Grant said was for me. All the laughs we had, all the times we shared, it was me. He continued holding his hand to his heart. But why? I asked. Why all this? I held my hands out, gesturing around me. Prison? the factory job all these years was it just about this I felt a little more irritated as these questions began to dawn on me Grant studied me for a moment it's complicated he said there are things I cannot tell you Michael rules you understand he said rhetorically I don't exactly have friends so to speak My responsibilities, as it were, don't leave much room for... He trailed off slightly before continuing. Hell is not a place to form friendships, and my position is not one that lends itself easily to relationships with others. He seemed hesitant in a way. This did not begin as what it became, my friend. I truly do have my share of mysterious ways, and... I've spent more time on this earth than many realize. He cut his eyes to the floor, allowing the silence to consume the room again. To be honest, I needed a moment. Not only had this entire experience been something I was unsure if I'd ever be able to find the words to describe at the time, but how I could accept that my friend, my best and closest friend, was indeed the fabled Prince of Darkness himself. I made a lot of mistakes in my youth. Grant began again, with a slight sadness in his voice. I couldn't tell if I had delved into my thoughts to hear what was swirling around inside, or if he just knew me well enough to know what I was thinking. Many of the stories of my history are true. The tales of the feud between my father and I were not exaggerated, but I was little more than a jealous child. He still wouldn't look up from the floor as he spoke, but I could hear his voice how difficult it was to talk about this. I was angry, and I did many things that I am not proud of, and even more than I am ashamed of. I went to great lengths to prove my father how evil his creations were, to show him the error of his choices. He finally looked up at me, and the flickering light of the candlelight reflected in his glassy eyes. It took a long time for me to break free from the hatred that consumed me. Once I finally saw the truth in my terrible actions, I no longer sought to encourage evil, only to resolve it, as should have been my goal from the start. He looked off to the side before gazing around the vast room we sat within. I won't pretend that the bridges that we burned between my father and I will ever be mended, but I'll also not pretend that I was the only one who took things too far. Perhaps someday. He shook his head, almost attempting to force himself back at the topic at hand. I wish I could tell you everything, Michael, but I'm afraid... Well, please don't take this the wrong way, but there are things you would not be able to understand. I looked at him for a minute or so. I didn't feel remotely insulted by his words, but I just wasn't sure what I wanted to say next, but what words arrived at my lips... Or ones that I didn't expect. Tommy, I said. My brother. I stared into Grant's face. Is... Is he in hell? He looked taken aback a little. They say suicides go to hell and... I don't know. He was a good kid. I said, almost feeling like I was begging him to tell me what I wanted to hear and not what I feared was true. Is he there? I asked, finally pointing my finger to where reality was split just moments ago. Grant appeared to be studying me for a moment. He appeared to be considering my question, or perhaps deciding whether or not to answer it. He was, he replied as a sharp pain stuck me in the chest. For a time... I tilted my head, genuinely confused by his answer. But hell is eternal, right? I mean, that's how it works, right? Grant shifted in his chair a little. As I said, there are things I cannot tell you. I felt deflated and weak. What I will say is this. I looked at him unnerved. That book that so many cling to, I tilted my head again. Well, it doesn't quite account for the gray areas of things. He looked genuinely sympathetic. You see, hell is for the wicked, and those who would inflict wicked upon them, he shifted again. A psychologically and emotionally traumatized young boy? Well, he didn't quite fit in. My head was spinning. My father had drilled into my brain for years now how I was sure to burn for eternity. Sure, I never bought into the religion deal. The more they forced it on me, the more I resisted, but it was still there in the back of my head. And that it was fact that I was bound for hell, even before I inadvertently murdered my father. Finally taking in the gravity of what he just told me, I asked. If not in hell... Where is he now? Grant just smiled and said, Somewhere else, and left it at that. Rules, I said, nodding my head. Grant gave a single nod and repeated. Rules. We sat again in silence for some time. We'd grown so close over the years it didn't feel like awkward silence, just... Silence. I thought of one last question as Grant raised up from his chair, one that sent sharp pain across my chest again. Will I ever see you again? I asked, almost pleading. Grant gestured around the room. I can safely say, Michael, that your debt to hell is paid in full. He smiled. What about Brandon? I asked. Well, his lover never had too much red to begin with, he shrugged. You should never have a need to see me again, he said. A somewhat sad expression formed on his face. Without a second thought, I said, You're my best friend. Tears began rolling down my face. He looked taken aback. Even now? he asked. Even with all you've learned. Without a word, I walked to my friend and threw my arms around him. He slowly wrapped his arms around my back. I could have been imagining it, but I think I felt a tear or two land on my shoulder where his head rested for a moment. After a time, Grant backed up and looked at me with a smile. Perhaps we'll see each other again then, he said, beaming. For now... I'm afraid I have some answers to pry from a certain benefactor of this fine event we found ourselves in. What about the book? I asked, spinning around to notice it was just a pile of smoking ash now. Nothing to worry about there, he remarked. Besides, he continued, you're a rich man now. He gestured to the bag of cash I'd completely forgotten about. He pulled the doorknob from his pocket again and split open reality in front of me. Before he walked toward the opening, I said, Grant? He turned to me with his eyebrows raised. What was all this? I asked, sincerely befuddled. He gave me one last smile and said, That truly is a question for another time, mate. In his old, familiar voice, before he disappeared through the door which slammed shut behind him. I stood there. Staring for a moment as reality once again sealed itself back together, before I just cracked and started laughing a laugh I don't think my exhausted body was capable of. I heard a voice behind me. What happened? Brandon said groggily from the floor. We're rich, bitch, I said laughing even harder. Epilogue, two years after a near-death experience. Sometime after the events of the old abandoned factory, Jensen Orchid was seen on TV holding a press conference. He stated that he was taking an early retirement and was moving away to live in seclusion, having become tired of living in high society. One could have argued that he didn't seem to be the man he was before, and even came off like someone doing a shoddy impression of the former head of Orchid Industries, but they would be no more than a passing whimsy until the next distraction came along. Brandon and I never returned to our jobs, as it was well documented and accepted by many disappointed factory managers that we had both won the big prize after our week-long sabbatical. The money, as it turns out, was ours completely tax-free. Our host, it seems, made sure everything was covered when it came to our reward. Whether that was the case before or after his untimely demise is not for me to say. Over the course of the next two years after that day, Brandon and I had grown quite close. We split the money fifty-fifty, but chose to move to a nice beachfront property together. It was a healthy-sized house, which even had a pool and a hot tub. Days could go by and we wouldn't even see each other. Brandon liked my idea of opening a bar at the beach, so we became business partners in the other side of hell bar and grill. We had a great staff and barely even had to show up for weeks at a time if we felt the need as they ran the place well. We still spent a good bit of time there though. It was a fun place to spend the evenings and Brandon as it turned out was quite the accomplished musician. He'd spend many nights playing his guitar and singing for the crowd, and there was a regular crowd for sure. It became a popular place for residents and tourists alike, though we never took advantage of this by jacking up the prices. Though I never fully explained the true events of that night to Brandon, we'd both decided an honest life was the best way to go. He's a great person, and a lot of fun to spend time with, and I'd grown to trust him completely. He has a girlfriend now who he's met at some bar some weeks ago. She watched him play guitar all night from a table right next to the stage. She was a cute girl. She's fair-skinned and covered in tattoos with bright red hair and freckles. I think Brandon was in love from the first moment. She spends a lot of time at the house now. I've dated here and there, but nothing serious. Maybe my parents' vast love for each other soured me on all the experience. Perhaps I just haven't found the right girl. Doesn't really matter, all things considered. I have a good life, good friends, and I no longer fear what the future may hold. All things I never expected when I was younger. I do believe I'll wrap this up here, though. Thank you for hearing me out through this long-winded story of my life, but I really must be going, I'm afraid. I received a call from an old friend last night. He said he has a proposition for me. Something of a road trip, apparently, so I may be gone for a bit. He told me I didn't really have to go if I didn't want to, but I'd be a bloody wanker if I bailed on him.